0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be, on this rotating sphere orbiting the sun and the center of the Milky Way and rushing toward the great attractor in Virgo, many billions of light years away, I think. Welcome to another live edition of The Other Side of Midnight. First of all, let me apologize for last night. I live in the land of enchantment, and we're going through the monsoons, and the monsoons in... The southern United States mean water vapor, lots of it, and that means thunderstorms. And in New Mexico, that means lightning and thunder. And uh, something just took out the power last night, and it flickered. In fact, one of our computers is still not totally happy. And I have to have Keith kind of take a look at that. They hate to be turned off suddenly, and it didn't happen suddenly. It literally flickered and then died So, of course, you have these pulses, and computers do not like electromagnetic pulses of flickering power and voltage and all that stuff. So, uh, again, I apologize for last night. Fortunately, we had a really good program to run for you again. Those of you who missed uh, my three-hour web backgrounder going all the way back to the construction of what for me was the generational equivalent of Webb, which was the famed incredible big eye, the 200-inch telescope on top of Mount Palomar in Southern California. Only decades later would I kind of learn probably why there's a interesting resonance between me and that particular observatory, because, of course, George Ellery Hale, this major industrialist from Chicago who moved to uh, Southern California back in the teens and built four of the world's largest observatories, the largest telescopes on Earth up until relatively recently, like maybe just a generation or so ago, when the 200-inch was finally surpassed one guy. And then I find that he decided to place, for some reason, other than optical seeing and accessibility to civilization and all that good stuff, um, the Mount Palomar Telescope at 33 degrees north. To this audience, need I say more? Okay, we have a very packed show because I have to kind of compress what I was going to do last night into what we're going to do tonight as a segue and introduction into my guest tonight who has some extraordinarily important material to present in the moving, moving context. NASA is literally doing things out front without comment that would have been astonishing just even six, eight, nine months ago. And we'll go through what all that means as we go through the program this evening. Uh, For those of you who are new to the show, you go to the other side of that's our url the other side of that takes us to our homepage click on tonight's banner which says rather dramatically i do like to catch people with a little drama from time to time the mysterious martian string bag and other wonders connecting mars and earth yes tonight we're going to talk about what i said way back when I wrote Monuments a long, long time ago, The Monuments of Mars, A City on the Edge of Forever. Remember that book? If you don't, you've got to go out and get it. It's going to be important background for what's about to happen. And yes, it's about to happen, as you will hear uh, both tonight and on many subsequent weekends and shows as we move into... I hate that word disclosure. I I really think of it more as the end game because you know that NASA and all these other international space agencies have been playing games with us for decades, real head games, trying to get us not to look at what is obvious on all these amazing images. Well, that time is now coming to an end. We are in the end game as you're going to see tonight. So um, you find that banner. Mysterious Martian String Bag, for Sunday, July 31st, 2022. Click on that banner, that will take you to the guest page. And tonight, my guest is George Haas, who is, uh, well, I guess you'd describe George as an interplanetary archaeologist. I I think that's probably the appropriate term. Um, After reading my work and following my research for many years, he set up something called the Sidoni Institute. In fact, we'll go into a little bit of history of how we got together. And with that as background and a foundation, he has found some truly fascinating stuff on Mars and even more importance for all you Earthers out there who rarely lift your eyes to the heavens or wonder. I mean, is there anybody in this audience who doesn't do that? I highly doubt it. Anyway. Um, George is kind of specialized on what I said uh, in that section of monuments, uh, the search for the terrestrial connection. Well, he and our own Keith Morgan have gotten together on a peer-reviewed scientific paper indicating one of those connections here on Earth, and we're going to have time tonight in the three hours, two hours devoted of to of George and those conversations, and then. In the third hour, we're going to have some additional guests popping in. Ron Gerbron is going to join us because there's an interesting new slash old story out of all places, Costa Rica tonight, which is incredibly relevant. And then I asked uh, Jonathan Womack to drop by because we're going to even touch on some more connections that are to be found. Uh, I'm really, really convinced now. Uh, And Keith Morgan is convinced because he's done some research on that. And John has done some pioneering work in, of all places, Utah. So we're going to try to get all this in tonight. And whatever we don't get to, we're going to be building to a much fuller show on these terrestrial connections in future weeks. So what you want to do, if you have found our page and you have found the guest page, underneath you'll see... Uh, where it says guest page, uh, under the banner on the guest page at the top, you'll see what says fast links to items. Click on my name. That will take you directly to this section of Radio with Pictures, where we have certain links and news stories that are relevant to, among other things, tonight's conversation. Item number one. Um, As you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, we're kind of in a countdown mode to the launch of the first NASA return mission uh, with a human rated spacecraft to the vicinity of the moon in, you know, decades, like 30 or more years. I haven't actually stopped to do the calculation. The last mission was Apollo 17 in 1972. So you can do the math. It's a long, long time ago. Anyway, um, item number one, the countdown continues for the Artemis one moon mission which will be an unmanned launch of the second most powerful rocket on Earth to the Saturn V of extraordinary historical Apollo lore. This is called the SLS, the Space Launch System. It's been in development for over 10 years, and it is now almost ready for its first free flight unmanned around the moon, leaving at the end of... The month of August, which begins um, actually at the end of this show, because we kind of straddle the other side of midnight here in the land of enchantment. For all you on the West Coast, it's already August 1st. I'm sorry, East Coast. So for you, it will be literally 29 days from tonight or this morning when you're listening that the Artemis rocket is supposed to lift off for the first time on an unmanned precursor mission around the moon. Now, here's where... Things, again, get really interesting because, of course, as you know, as we have tracked and documented for decades, NASA cannot do a thing without a ritual, a 33-degree ritual, a 19.5-degree ritual, uh, a twice 19.5-degree ritual. So when they posted on that website, which you will get by clicking on that gorgeous image, looking up at the floodlit uh, Uh, SLS rocket with the Artemis Orion spacecraft at this very tippy top uh, in those Klieg lights with that gorgeous Florida sky, the lowering, free thunderstorm, summer sky behind it. Um, We're about 29 days away. And if you look at the website carefully, they pick three dates when they can launch. The first is going to be the 29th of August. The second launch opportunity will be the 2nd of September. And the third launch opportunity where they have to kind of uh, recycle will be September 5th. The first date gives them a 42-day mission. I misspoke uh, last week when I said it was going to be two weeks. No, it's actually uh, over a month. The second date, September 2nd, if the if the launch slips, remember it's a brand new rocket, never flown before. It's had the hot fire tests in uh, uh, Louisiana at Michoud, but it has not been launched into space before. This will be a a virgin test. Um, if they if they if the countdown misses uh, on the morning of the 29th, they've got about a two-hour launch window at 8:33 Eastern time on uh, Monday morning, the 29th. So we'll obviously be referencing this on our Sunday night show with hopefully some new information. Uh, their next opportunity is September 2nd. And if they launch on September 2nd, which I'm really kind of betting they're going to do, is because September 2nd, the launch window is two hours, but the mission duration of looping away from Earth, up in a very extended orbit around the moon, that mission will last 30 nine, twice 19.5 days. And if you think an accident, I've got a bridge in Arizona that I can sell you really, really cheap. Okay. Item number two, right under number one, we're the uh, Artemis details. The unmanned NASA capstone mission, which as I said a few weeks ago is about the size of a microwave, weighs about 55 pounds Carries some very sophisticated radio gear to precursor test the rectilinear orbit for the essential gateway lunar space station that NASA will be placing into orbit around the moon in the next couple of years after these first uh, uh, couple of Artemis missions, the first unmanned, the second uh, human uh, occupied with men and women. That will orbit the Moon. I think the third mission, which will come in 2025, will be the first crewed mission that will try to land at the lunar south pole. And by that time, the Gateway lunar space station, uh, which is called Gateway for really good reasons, will be in place uh, in lunar orbit and performing and you know being tested and all that good stuff prior to the first crew of of, uh, artemis astronauts uh, who will come aboard now the uniqueness of the gateway space station lunar space station which is building obviously on the experience of uh, the international space station in low earth orbit is that from that lunar gateway station orbiting the moon astronauts will be able to reach any point on the lunar surface both on the near side on the far side, and most importantly, at the poles. Why the poles? Because that's where it looks like most of the water in the form of ice is hanging out, which leads us to item number three. South Korea, um, a couple days from now, I think Tuesday the 2nd, is planning its first unmanned, all-up spacecraft robotic launch of a very complicated very elaborate mission, unmanned mission, with its own spacecraft to the moon. And they've got all kinds of really cool instruments, including a couple of cameras, a gamma-ray spectrometer, I believe, a magnetometer. They're going to be in a relatively low lunar orbit when they get there. They're going, by the way, by the same uh, slow boat to the moon that the Capstone mission is is, uh, taking. In other words, the Apollo missions took like three days very high energy, very costly in terms of fuel, et cetera, et cetera. These two missions, Capstone and the Korean mission, whose name I believe is Durrani. Don't quote me, but I think that's the name. Um, and it means something like enjoy the moon. I mean, they really got an interesting take on, on the mission. Enjoy the moon is the name of their mission. Well, we are definitely going to enjoy the moon through their eyes, Because, and this is again back to the NASA ritual, when they were building this spacecraft, according to the story, you will click on there in item number three, uh, they allotted a certain percentage of the weight of the spacecraft, the mass, to a NASA experiment, which is going to be a camera, a very special camera constructed by, wait for it, Malin Space Science Systems. And for those of you who are veterans of our work, you know that Michael Malin is definitely someone that whenever he does something, either on Mars or around the moon, you really want to watch because Michael has hidden agendas. Anyway, this camera is going to be on the spacecraft. It's basically a telescope looking down from 62 miles as this spacecraft orbits uh, uh, in a polar orbit and moves over all of the moon in the space of like a month. But it's going to mainly focus at the North and South Pole because the camera is supposed to be so incredibly sensitive, something like 200 times more sensitive than the previous uh, digital CCD camera that NASA sent to the moon on the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, that it's going to be able to literally see into the pitch black shadows where the sun never shines due to the uh, tilt of the moon to its orbit it's almost straight up and down so you don't get like on earth where six months you get sunlight on one pole and then six months later you get sunlight uh, for six months on the other pole no on the moon there are regions near the poles where the sun has not shone for literally billions of years In those deep, deep shadows, which, by the way, are colder, according to the LRO measurements, based on radiometers, than any other place in the solar system, including the night side of Mercury or the sun side, uh, which is the only thing we can see from Earth, of Pluto, over 4 billion miles from the central hearth of the solar system, i.e. the sun. Those shadowed regions literally are hovering just a few tens of degrees, maybe less, above absolute zero. And they form what are called cold traps, meaning that if a bouncy molecule like water goes skipping across the lunar surface and it winds up at the poles, which they literally do that, they bounce, they have collisions, and they wind up at the poles. If they get into those shadow regions with those super incredibly cold temperatures, They never get out. It's kind of like Hotel California. You can check out any time you want, but you can never leave. So the water is trapped in these incredibly cold, almost absolute zero regions that are really, 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 really really dark, except the peaks around them, the crater rims, do get sunlight as the uh, lunar orbits process and mutate. They don't stay in one plane in, uh, in space given the gravitational interactions of the Earth and the Sun and even some of the other planets like Jupiter and, and Mars, Venus. So the moon's orbit wiggles and the moon's rotation wiggles and those wiggles change where the shadow regions are over long periods of time, like decades. But sometimes the peaks Stay in sunlight all the time and it's the sunlight bouncing off those peaks that then can be reflected called scattered light into those deep dark shadows so if you were standing in those shadows in a very very well insulated spacesuit remember the outside temperature under your feet is like 400 you know degrees below zero or even colder um you would be able to see when your eyes dark adapted a faint glimmer of the landscape lit by the scattered sunlight from the surrounding mountains, i.e. the crater rims. Well, this camera, this Malin camera, which is specifically called a shadow cam, is supposed to be able to look into those shadows, see the ground, see where the ice has accumulated, By its reflectivity, by its sheen, by its uh, brighter, you know, surface uh, uh, light scattering than the surrounding dark lunar material. And that's the way that NASA is proposing to map the distribution of water in these deep, dark craters, which is essential for establishing a lunar base at the lunar south pole, which is where Artemis Via the gateway space station orbiting the moon is going to be taking visitors and American astronauts to and from with a permanent residence on the moon beginning in the next two to three years. Now, why am I interested in all of this? Because as we're going to do in the coming weeks, I'm going to do another one of these three hour thingies where I bring you up to date on the status of our research into ancient lunar ruins. I'm going to show you in great detail why this South Korean mission, which will not arrive at the moon until December. Remember, the Capstone mission will get there about a month earlier in November, November 13th, via this slow boat to China slash the moon. And the South Korean mission will get there a month later because it's being launched about a month after Capstone by the same very low energy, very long gravitational surfing route. Um, When they begin their mission in December, the end of the year is going to get really, really, really interesting because, and I don't have time to tell you tonight, but it's unequivocal that the real mission, the real hidden mission for the Malin shadow cam piggybacking on the South Korean unmanned spacecraft and weighing, wait for it, 33 ritual pounds is going to be to take the first close-up images of the ancient domes over the moon and how this all works and why I now know that they have to be doing this. Otherwise, nothing else will work up to and including NASA itself, the fate of NASA itself as I will explain in the coming weeks, is literally riding on this Korean mission. And we will give you the details when we kind of assemble them all, and we'll do another three-hour kind of show and tell as to what we can expect from the unmanned Artemis 1 mission leaving on the 29th of, for you folks on the East Coast, this month, August. Item number four. Now, you've all seen the rather remarkable imagery from the Webb Space Telescope, and you have followed, obviously, some of our discussions as to what uh, it really is going to be able to do and the incredible paradigm shifts it's going to be uh, enabling across all our cultures, not just the U.S., but every other nation, every other culture here on Earth. We are talking about something that's potentially even more shocking than revolutionary, than the Web, than the Hubble imagery that came to us decades ago when it was first launched. Well, if you look at item number four, Webb has got another his, uh, first under its belt. When Webb was put together, it was not thought that it was going to be very good at finding supernovae, super exploding stars in distant galaxies, because its field of view is so incredibly narrow. It's not like a survey telescope, which looks at a, A lot of galaxies all across the sky simultaneously with fields of view bigger than the full moon, which is not very big, but it's much bigger than Webb. I mean, the Webb deep field, remember all those galaxies released a couple, three weeks ago, that deep field is literally in an area of the sky that would be subtended by a grain of rice perched on your outstretched hand one arm's length away from your eyes a teeny, 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 tiny fraction of the entire sky. So for that reason, Webb was not thought to be a good um, instrument to look for supernova, particularly supernova in other galaxies hundreds of millions or billions of light years away. And then just a few days ago, if you look at number four and look at that image, in the upper left-hand corner, that's a web image, uh, infrared, And right to the left of the second left galaxy, I'm sorry, to the right of the second left galaxy, if you look at the panel below, you can see the little crosshairs and the little dot. That dot is a supernova, a star blowing itself to kingdom come, vomiting its guts into the galactic medium, radiating enough energy to outshine an entire galaxy for a brief period of time of weeks or sometimes even months. That little twink of light was recorded by Webb because Webb may not be able to see in one image, they can't make mosaics, of course, um, a lot of galaxies side to side, but it's capable of looking literally billions of years deep into deep time, deep into space. And so what it loses in the wide angle obviously picks up in the depth of its capability of looking back through time. And so this galaxy, where this supernova uh, appeared and was captured just after it had blown itself to kingdom come, uh, was photographed four billion light years away, obviously four billion years ago. And Webb caught it just because it could look so deep into deep, 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 galactic time item number five um there was a chinese launch a few days ago which as you may remember was putting up another piece of the uh uh, chinese uh, space station Uh, by law they cannot cooperate Uh, by law enacted by congress by some really kind of weird republicans we're not supposed to cooperate with the chinese remember the old phrase keep your friends close and your enemies closer well the congress when the republicans let it made it impossible for us to keep the Chinese close, to keep an eye on them. So they had to do all their stuff with space stations separate from our space station. So they're launching their space station separately. And again, like the couple, three times before, they did not program their big launch rocket, something like 72 tons, to come back in a place in the ocean where it wouldn't hurt anybody. They just kind of let it reenter. Well, it reentered uh, yesterday evening over the Indian Ocean, fortunately, and it's not uh, didn't fall on anybody, didn't hurt anything. But really, if they keep doing this, they're not going to be making many friends in the international community. Which leads us to item number six. There is a very serious discussion now, which apparently was spearheaded by uh, some statements that the administrator of NASA former Senator Bill Nelson made a few weeks ago, that China is wanting to take over the moon. And there's a story from the Washington Examiner, which as you know, is the uh, kind of Republican conservative counterpart to the Washington Post in Washington, DC. And they have this very interesting article, is China really plotting to take over the moon? Now, both of those comments, Nelson's comment a few weeks ago, and now the Examiner a few days ago asking the same question, presupposes that that there's something on the moon that, in fact, is worthy of taking over. Well, lo and behold, it turns out that there is, in fact, something well worth taking over, and that is there is something on the moon besides rocks and rills and radiation. Well, if you uh, look at your clock, you'll see we have reached the bottom of the hour. When we come back, I'm going to tell you why we're playing Gene Roddenberry's Alexander Courage's original Star Trek theme. It's very important, so wait for it. You're on the other side of Midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we come back, we're going to talk about Star Trek. We shall return.
1: The other side of Midnight.com in to listen to Richard C. Hudland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
0: and welcome back everyone the reason we're playing star trek tonight is because nichelle nichols lieutenant uhuru died yesterday evening at the age of 89 here in silver city new mexico the land of enchantment and bill russell the famed basketball player the pioneer the civil rights activist the incredible brave pioneer back in the 60s, who sided with Muhammad Ali when no one else could understand what uh, he was doing in protesting his participation in the Vietnam War. Both of them died yesterday. Bill was 88. I imagine there's a pretty interesting party going on upstairs right now because Nichelle was not just an actress. She wasn't just another pretty face. Nichelle was a pioneer. I met Nichelle back in the 1970s. I'm extremely grateful for the many hours that we spent together in our conversations. And as you know, if you've listened to the show at all over these past several years, uh, Gene Roddenberry and I became friends when uh, the whole concept of Star Trek on NBC was threatened with cancellation. And so I was part of the effort, along with people like Isaac Asimov and uh, many others, To try to save the show and B. Joe Trimble and other people were able to collaborate on getting thousands and thousands of letters into NBC to basically, for one of the first times in network history, keep a show on the air after the, you know, the suits, as we used to call them, at the upper levels of the network had decided that, well, there really wasn't much of an audience and so they could safely cancel. Of course, it turns out that that was a lie. Star Trek, as we have uh, exemplified here with uh, the testimony of my friend Susan, who was Gene's right-hand assistant for many decades, um, was in fact incredibly successful on NBC. So someone, even back then, was kind of jiggering the books, trying to make it look like the idea of boldly going where no one had gone before, the idea of finding strange new worlds and strange new life forms on those worlds was not really supposed to take hold. And so after three years, Star Trek was quietly shelved. Well, um, it did not go gently into that good night or into the galaxy. And over the years, a lot of us tried to get uh, something resurrected and ultimately those efforts did succeed. Well, one of my private efforts with Gene had always been to get him to pay attention to NASA for serious, real connections between the fictional Star Trek and what was going on with NASA right then. Back then, of course, the 1970s was right now. I didn't have very much success because Gene was definitely committed to avoiding the, shall we say, sticky situations of mixing fiction. And, reality. And of course, back then, I had no idea that NASA was hiding whole planets full of ancient ruins and things on the moon and on Mars and on the satellites of Jupiter and Saturn. And, I mean, I had zero idea that any of that stuff was out there. I just realized, even then, that unless we became a multi-planet species, unless we diversified ourselves across the solar system and then someday beyond... That, in fact, we would be limited to not many years of just being on this one planet. In other words, we had to become, in the words of Elon Musk, a multi-planet species. Well, little did I know, but behind the scenes, Nichelle Nichols, this very quiet retiring actress, who after the first year on Star Trek wanted to go back to her work as an actress and as a dancer, and she wanted to do Radio Music City and all those normal Hollywood and Broadway things. And then one night at a party after the first season had wrapped, she was, you know, kind of mingling with a the guest there in Hollywood, and someone came up behind her and said, uh, you're Michelle Nichols, right? She turned around, and there was Martin Luther King Jr. And, of course, they started to talk. And then she kind of unburdened herself and said that she was in this TV show and she wanted to go back to her real life. You know, she didn't really belong in science fiction, all that. And he obviously, as she says in her own books and told me you know, personally many, many decades ago, she said to him, or he said to her, rather, you can't do that. She said, why? She said, well, every Thursday night. We all gather on the TV set to see you on network television. You're a model. You're a role model. Think of all those little girls who look at you fulfilling in an all-white crew with aliens a role that they could only dream about. And so Nichelle took a pause and her life took a change. And ultimately, she became a literal uh, contract personality with NASA in the 1970s, working to recruit black astronauts, men and women, into NASA at a time when it was lily white and all male. And she succeeded. Thousands upon thousands of black astronauts applied and over 1,500 have been accepted. And in all different levels, you can now see this incredible diversity in our beloved local neighborhood space agency and it's all because of michelle nichols so lieutenant nichols live long and prosper Well, tonight we're going to be talking with an old friend of mine, George Haas, who has not been on the show for far too long. So let me get the right screen racked up here, and I will give you some of uh, George's very interesting background. He is the founder and premier investigator of the Mars Research Group known as the Sedoni Institute and is a member of the Society for Planetary SETI Research, (SPSR). His research now encompasses over 30 years of study and analysis of NASA and ESSA photographs of Mars. Uh, George's early schooling was in the visual arts. He was an art instructor, a writer, a curator, and former director of the Sculptors Association of New Jersey. During the 1980s, he exhibited extensively throughout New Jersey and the New York area and was represented by Grace Harkin Gallery in New York's East Village. He had a one-man show at the O.K. Harris Gallery of Art in Soho in 1989. Over the last two decades, Haas has studied the art and iconography of North and South American cultures, such as the Olmec, the Maya, and the Aztecs. He has been a member of both the pre-Columbian societies at the University of Pennsylvania and in Washington, D.C., and it was George that I believe. I first called when I discovered the so-called split face of the giant mile-long face on Mars that one half was a uh, uh, humanoid and the under half seemed to be a um, hominid uh, feline and the twain did meet on the Cydonia Plains of Mars and so I reached out to him and it was George who first told me that, oh my God, That fusion of two effigy symbologies in one artwork was in fact well-known in Central American ancient Mayan art. So, George, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight.
2: Well, good evening, Richard. Uh, It's a pleasure to uh, hear your voice again and uh, be on your show. It's been a while.
0: It's been too long. So, Am I remembering correctly, did I reach out to you because someone had told me that you actually had this this set of images showing this fusion of art uh, styles already here on Earth?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I was living in Jackson, New Jersey, and my wife and I had just got back from a uh, weekend vacation. And on our answering machine was uh, Richard Hoagland asking me to give him a call <laughs> because uh, you wanted to talk to me about these uh, Mesoamerican bifurcated and two-faced mask and uh, artwork that they were producing that looked very similar to what we were seeing uh, with the face on Mars.
0: So let's start there. When did you first realize that the Mayans had done this incredible fusion, which I think, of course, has deep, deep symbolic roots. And now I think we can trace them all the way back to our famous and familiar red planet. But how did you get into looking at these in the first place?
2: Well, it was kind of accidental. Uh, as you know, we were all anticipating the new – the three images that the Mars Global Surveyor released uh, with the face on Mars, which was very dark. This and, is back uh, was in what, 89, I think? 19, 1998. Ah, 98. Okay. Right, with, with the, you know, the first pictures of the face on Mars. And uh, we were all very excited about it, and uh, you saw that it actually confirmed the humanoid and feline side like we were seeing in the, the Viking imaging. And I was really interested in finding out where is this idea of two faces coming from? Because uh, most people think of you know high art as the Roman art, everything's symmetrical. Uh, you know, most cultures that your average person knows about produces symmetrical art. And uh, I was in Barnes and Noble. This is how it really happened going through some archaeological books, and I saw a book by Linda Shelley. Um, and I started thumbing through that, and there was a bifurcated mask in there, and there was also this this uh, three-leafed uh, emblem that was on some of the headdress. And uh, we were seeing that on the face on Mars, because you were the one that figured out that this could be mirrored, so you could actually see the symmetry, what actually the humanoid side looks like and the feline side. And when the mirroring of the 1998 image was performed, you could see like this tri leaf emblem was on the forehead of... and he hit the. The face on Mars uh, looked very simian. It was uh, very, uh, a very bold face. It had this headdress, very Egyptian type of flanged headdress on each side. There was this three-leaf uh, symbol in the forehead. And that's when I found that, oh, this same symbol is in Mesoamerica also. Oh. And there's these early Olmec sculptures that have these flanged headdress on the side that look very Egyptian. And there's sculptures of these. I mean, it's, it's no mystery to archaeologists. But you have the same type of Egyptian type of flanged headdress that we're finding in in Olmec art.
0: Wait, wait, so wait, wait wait wait, two... wait, wait, wait! You mean here on Earth we have a a conflation of Egyptian style art in a Mesoamerican Olmec pre Mayan context? Oh yeah,
2: um, there's there's a well. Let me tell you why
0: of... Let me tell you why that's really news, because we found Ron Druban and I have found exactly the same stuff going on. Perseverance rover imagery out of Jezero Crater, about 35 million miles away on Mars.
2: Uh, well, you know, this is all connected, Richard. Richard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do now.
2: Right. So uh, when I found that, uh, that's when one thing led to another, and then I started seeing these two-faced masks with the humanoid and the feline on one side. Uh, the, the Maya would do uh, life-death mask. They would do these masks that had like an old man on one side and a dog on another. So this whole idea of these, this bifurcated technique—it was also in uh, Peruvian art, all, all the Mesoamerican cultures, uh, Aztec, uh, the Botec, uh, the Maya—and uh, so that just opened up a floodgate that this is a, a legitimate type of art. Uh, you know, we don't have to think if we find structures or, or artifacts on Mars that they're going to be, you know, Romanesque and we're not going to find columns in, in Roman temples. This is going to be more uh, pyramidal. Well, wait, wait, wait.
0: See, you're glossing over the shocking, stunning, absolutely unbelievable reality here, which is when I started this way back when, looking at those original images from from Viking, uh, the Viking orbiter, the Sidoni images from orbit looking down, and then following the work of DuPietro and Molinar, who did a pretty good first cut, but of course they... Had no idea of the depth of what was there to be researched, even just at Sidonia. I was of the opinion that when we found anything on mars if we if we had found something, it was going to be quote aliens, right different culture, Correct. different planet, different species, different origin, different everything. The only anomaly in that picture was the stunning work of Ray Bradbury, who published a series of short stories eventually. Collected into a novel called the Martian Chronicles, which then became a television series uh, with with um, what was his name? Uh, Rock Hudson as, Hudson, as, as, as the key hero with his children. And it was it was a Bradbury heresy in the 1950s when the Martian Chronicles was first published that humans go to Mars in the first expedition. They land and who greets them? But human beings, earthlings, living in right. wonderful Victorian houses with, you know, village squares and white steeples and the whole nine yards, and for for someone reading as a kid, this in the 1950s, it made a stunning impression on me because no one could ever have imagined that you go to another planet in that milieu and find yourselves well. Fast forward the film decades, and we see the face on Mars, and lo and behold, half of it looks like us, and the other half, as I laid out at the UN in 1992, looks like a big giant pussycat, i.e. a terrestrial lion, and there was no scientific background for that shattering paradigm uh, anomaly that one could possibly have anticipated in any real science. And yet when I turn to you and you started doing your homework, we find this motif of these fusions of human and other artwork all over Central America.
2: Yeah, it's pretty stunning. And we're finding the same type of iconography on Mars.
0: I mean, we are living in the twilight zone. Rod, move over. you got more company tonight. Okay. You guys have a lot to talk about.
2: A lot. Well, I, I don't think uh, I talk to a lot of people about this, and a lot of them they just don't know how to react to this because it just seems too crazy. But <laughs> it's you know it's right there in front of you. Well, wasn't it that famous? And then famous... of course the question is why is it Mesoamerican? Why is it Aztec exactly. or, or See that kind of like throws out their their confidence because they, they they expect to see something more uh, you know Western or or, or from uh, you know like the Romanesque type of thing.
0: Gre- Greco Roman.
2: Greco-Roman, correct, yeah. So uh, that brings us to uh, this whole Mesoamerican connection, uh, which, um, you know, there's a big debate on did the Europeans come ac- across the Barren Straits and come up through Canada, down through, you know, uh, down through into uh, California and then go down south into South America, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coming into the New World. Uh, my dur- is dur- that
0: during was- the Ice Age, when the when the ice had withdrawn the ocean so you could literally walk from one continent to another along the shore and not get your Correct. feet
2: wet. But well, I think what archaeologists are finding now that uh, Europeans were here, Asians and people uh, of that area were here before the Ice Age. Long before. Right. And they were down in South America, Peru, Chile,
0: uh, Cusco.
2: All all these places down there. Well, the
0: weird thing is in Tierra del Fuego, the oldest New World settlements – I'm talking really old – are at the southern tip of South America, and they get younger as you go north as opposed to being the oldest north and the youngest south, which would follow the so-called migration hypothesis.
2: Yeah, the famous settlement down there, Corral. Yep. It dates before the pyramids. Yep. 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 And you know, mainstream media doesn't even pay attention to that because it just throws all the history books upside down. And my theory is that they came up from the, the um, South America up through into North America. It's just the other way around.
0: Which means they had to have arrived by some other means. <laughs> Correct.
2: Things that we have to try to figure out, and that's what brings us to this odd. A geoglyph that's sitting in Alberta, Canada.
0: Well, let's not get there totally yet. Let's not get there yet. I want to okay. do, do the proper segue. Uh, I didn't know this afternoon that Nichelle had died, so I had to make an incredibly important room to celebrate her and what she's done to bring the real and the fiction together. We're we're almost at the edge of the Star Trek universe, and mainly because of Nichelle Nichols and her determination to drag Roddenberry and NASA kicking and screaming into the 23rd century. So she really is an incredible pioneer, and I was so honored to have met her and worked with her uh, back in the 70s. Anyway, this is all a prelude to how do we get into me inviting you on? Well, if your ears were burning a few weeks ago, it's because uh, uh, Robert Morningstar presented one of your photographs that was taken from uh, Neville Thompson's Gigapan uh, a couple, three weeks ago, of something that looked exactly like to both me and Ron and others, like an orange string bag that you pick up at the supermarket to put your oranges in and take them home. I mean, it looked so much like a damn string bag and yet NASA took wonderful photographs of it and never said a word. Then a few weeks later after uh, Robert and Ron and I had talked about it and you on the show. And I said, well, I've, Got to go and find George and get him on. We we you know talk about the background. Then NASA released more pictures showing this little piece of twisted string, literally. Right. It was blowing. like a week
2: later they they came out with the the, uh, the the tangled piece of string there.
0: Yeah, and they made a big deal. They made the 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 string one of their pictures of the week, which they do, pretending of course that people are writing in and voting these pictures best second. I really doubt that. I think it's all.
2: Well, they do that all the time now. All these oddities are pictures of the week, like nonchalant.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but but they don't comment about their origin, what they might be, what they might imply. It's like years ago, a, a deep state Intel agent actually worked for, wait for this, <clears throat> the Secret Service, said to me in the Intel community, there's something known as soak time. Like you soak clothes. Before you wash them, you, you soak them in, right. you know, tight or suds to get the saturate before using. Exactly. So what they're doing is a tried and true Intel uh, community technique where they soak the public in the images, in the data, in the reality of what the pictures are showing. But they don't say anything. They let social media now spread the word and widen the circle so when they ultimately do come out with an explanation people will say oh i saw that months ago or i saw that two years ago or in other words they're desperately trying not to panic civilization because their model is if we find out all this stuff out there is real we're all going to freak out
2: right yeah they release all this stuff so they can say we're not hiding anything we released all this there's nothing
0: there And if you were too damn dumb to know what it is, that's your fault. We put it out there.
2: Plausible deniability,
0: that's the watchword in Washington. So they put out the string without saying anything. They did not put out your string bag, which I find really bizarre, because they took separate images so we know it's there. Now, one has been cut off to the right, and Ron may explain that a little later, but it's unequivocally there. It's unequivocally what it looks like, and the question, of course, the only question really is, how did it get there? Did we bring it with us with perseverance? Is it part of the so-called EDL, the Entry, Descent, and Landing System, like they claim the little bright reflective thingy with the geometric dot pattern on it was from the EDL entry process and just kind of blew over? Like the plastic
2: shard? Well, it,
0: it may be plastic. It may be Something else, Kevlar, probably is Kevlar. Um, It looks kind of cubical, looks like it has a shape. But they're claiming that was from the EDL, the Entry, Descent, and Landing of Perseverance. It just kind of blew down there, and they wound up finding it. Out of all the hundreds of thousands of square miles in Jezero Crater, they just happened to wander by the place where this little piece landed. But they have not explained the string. They haven't explained how it blew into the frame. And how it blew out again. And Ron will talk to that. And they have absolutely totally avoided even profiling your string bag, which raises the ante and says very profoundly, this human looking stuff has only one of two origins. Either Perseverance brought this with us and it's more detritus, you know, kind of, you know, loose on the landscape or it's indigenous to Mars. And the fact that it looks so human is only the indication that our human culture really came from Mars. And we're the great, 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 great descendants of our great, great, great Martian human ancestors. And that's where the Badlands Guardian comes in.
2: Right. Now, this string, uh, we have seen some pictures similar to this in the past. Uh, but they called them fibers. They were just one string. If you remember seeing pictures of that, and NASA would say they were just the filaments. Right. Uh, but this string is, is more than a filament. This, this is just a – it looks like somebody just wound up a piece of string and threw it on the ground.
0: Yeah, and it, we know it blew in in the wind, which is a whole other story because given the NASA that we have been told about for like half a century going back to Mariner 4 – The atmosphere is supposed to be only as dense as that at 100,000 feet over the Earth. There are no winds that can pick up anything, let alone a string at 100,000 feet. Um, You can talk to the X-15 pilots. You can talk to the astronauts. You can talk to the U-2 pilots. Uh, There ain't no winds that can pick up string at 100,000 feet, which means if that string literally blew into frame a few weeks ago and then three or four Martian days later blew out, which Ron is very carefully documented, you can actually see the little indentations on the top of the sand dune where it rested for a couple, three days before the wind blew it away. In order for that mass of string, and you can do a calculation, if it's, you know, cellulose, it has one mass. If it's wire twisted up, it has another much heavier mass. Nothing like that should be blown around on Mars. And you can see when it's gone in that third image, there are little indentations in the sand on the top of the little dune where it sat for three days while NASA kept taking picture after picture after picture of it. And they're all on the NASA RAW website. So getting back to the Badlands Guardian, at some point, if this stuff is indigenous, and I think I can prove tonight that it's indigenous, and we'll do that momentarily. At some point, the humans who had this culture on Mars had to leave Mars because Mars was getting, as Elton John says, not the kind of place to raise your kids. So where could they have gone? Well, there's only two places, depending upon their technology, either they went to the stars or they had to come to earth, or they could have gone both places with earth being closer and more readily available and easier and cheaper and all that good stuff. And then you look in the terrestrial record And there's all kinds of wondrous, weird things that suddenly appear in the terrestrial record, cave art in Spain and in, uh, you know, South uh, South Pacific and in, uh, 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 you know, Europe. Uh, And then there are these huge geoglyphs, one of which is sitting there in Canada called the Badlands Guardian, which my friend Keith has been researching for years. So I think that these huge art forms on Earth that are only now just beginning to be recognized as not districts of light and shadow are a direct lineal descendant of the pioneers who first came from Mars to Earth. Human
2: pioneers. Well, and I strongly agree. Um if the audience is not aware of the Badlands Guardian, it is uh, in Alberta, Canada. Uh, nobody knew about this until uh, a, a woman by the name of Lynn uh, Hitchcock found this in 2006 when she was uh, looking for a dinosaur museum to take her kids to. And she went on Google Earth, and uh, this caught her eye. And that's when this came to the uh, mainstream uh, awareness of this formation. Okay. Okay.
0: I think now we... Oh, oh, actually, we're at the top of the hour, so why don't we kind of hold it there. Uh, My guest this morning is George Haas. We're discussing what may have happened when a culture from the planet Mars decided by necessity that it had to come to Earth. And if that happened, is there any evidence from that time period, which would be literally tens of thousands of years ago, is there any evidence on Earth that in fact such a transition was made? Well, one way that you figure that out is you look at the massive geoglyphic art forms we see all over Mars, and Keith Laney has done some really sterling work in this direction, and then you look on Earth to see if there is anything of similar import or similar design, and yes, there is, and we'll get back to the details when we return right after this short break. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. <laughs>
1: Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com.
0: And welcome back to everyone this Sunday night, July 31st, 2022, literally for you guys on the East Coast, one month away from the launch of Artemis One. My guest this morning is George Haas, and we're talking about artwork on both planets, which is indicative that very similar, if not identical, cultures once existed on two worlds. So, George, welcome back. I'm back, Richard. Okay.
2: Um, The interesting thing about the Badlands Guardian, it's like anything that, uh, you know, the face on Mars, we only had that uh, early Viking image, and a lot of people disputed it. We didn't even know there was actually two images. So as you know, doing this research, you have to have multiple images to do science. You can't just have one image could be, as NASA would say, a trick of light and shadow. Yep. Well, this Badlands Guardian, we have five images. Really? Is, is the music still playing? Oh, there it went. My ear is full of that uh, orchestra that was just playing. Yeah, we, we have five images of this uh, dating all the way back. So we can do a study of how permanent is this formation. It, does it just exist in 2006 and then it's gone? This was noticed by the Alberta Department of Lands and Forest in 1949. They have aerial photographs of this when they were doing the surveys of the uh, the Badlands. So the first picture of, of this formation goes all the way back to 1949. And then, of course, nobody knew about that because no one really had access to these images because it was in the Department of Land and Forests in Alberta, Canada. But once the Internet was set up and we have Google Earth, uh, opened up the doors to all kinds of research. I mean, we even know about pyramids in, in China now that we never would have known of without Google. So in Google, every couple years they take a new image and they take the, the old one down, they put a new one up. Okay. I'm having someone else talking in my ear.
0: That's bizarre cuz there's nothing going out over the air here. Okay.
2: That is It's like another program.
0: That is very bizarre. Let me let me see what if I can get rid They're of,
2: Talking about children. Um but anyway, uh so Google released uh, images every couple of years. So they took they their first image was in 2002. They had an image put up in 2006, which is the best image. Uh, They put an image up in 2012 and 2015. Now, the most disturbing thing about this is that in 2015, someone that owns this property started planting trees on the face. Really? I hear commercials about people suffering for cancer. Is so I really can't. There,
0: there is nothing coming out of this machine that should not should, be done.
2: Should Keith give me a call back or, or I'm having trouble with this? I, yeah, let well, us. There's another program overriding my your oh, program. Right. NASA is at it again. Uh... It's about, I got... Rich,
4: yeah, I just did you kill hear the a... alien machine, okay? Say, say again? Kill the
0: audio from the alien machine. I just did. Hear anything?
5: Yes, it's still coming over. Skype. Uh, the
0: all, alien machine is is totally killed. And let uh, me check here. Uh, sorry, folks, this is backstage radio. This was ha- what happens when you do a live show amongst yourselves.
5: <laughs> Find the tab that's playing. You hear it browser. also, Keith? It's not you. It's not you. Yeah,
2: it's it's uh, something about pediatric cancer program.
0: Bizarre, because there's nothing coming out of these machines that can be coming in. I only have one window open in both. All right? So.
1: The other side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests.
0: Okay,
3: it's not that.
0: This is very weird. Are you still hearing it, guys? Something um,
2: is playing. Not right now. It sounded like a music ended and that was the end of the uh, commercial or the program. I hear nothing now. Okay, good. I only hear your voice now, Richard. Okay, good. <laughs> well, yeah, like I was saying, the most disturbing thing with this whole collection of images, 2015, somebody started planting trees over the face right which is pretty disturbing uh well do And we, now I have a now I have a twenty dollars a month commercial on <laughs> this is really goodness. bizarre this is totally bizarre all right and Keith is also hearing this
5: yes I am
2: yeah
1: but I don't hear it on the live stream it's strange I don't hear it on the live stream
0: yeah, and I'm not hearing, because I actually have uh, the alien machine muted,
2: so you shouldn't be hearing it from
0: there. I, I
2: hear nothing right now.
0: Okay, let's assume. There it
2: comes. It's back. Are you hearing anything? Not now.
5: Okay, Richard, do you have your button for pre and post up or down on your Uh
0: it. Oh, it could be the mice. Maybe they've done this. I'm looking...
2: Uh, it's everything's fine right now it just comes and goes
5: all right let's move on don't play anything um well i'm gonna have to play don't
0: something at some
2: point don't touch anything richard <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah backstage radio folks okay
2: right so if if the audience goes to the uh, picture page uh for george haas uh the first picture uh shows the uh expanded view of the Badlands Guardian face.
0: Uh, Let me ask one more technical thing. The pre and post should be down, right?
5: Um, It depends. Is pre down or up? Pre is up. Post is down. Okay, it should be down.
2: All right. It was up. It's the damn mice. So. So I, I don't hear any interference right now, Richard. Okay. Well, we
0: now solved the problem. The mice do things okay. to the studio when I'm not down here during the week.
2: Or gremlins.
0: No, it's <laughs> the mice. It has to be. So, All right. So please continue.
2: Yes. So um, if the uh, audience goes over to my page, they can see the uh, Google image. Uh, uh, that's the best image that we have. That was from 2006.
0: This is number one. Uh, the,
2: right. Uh, number two is, is my line drawing, uh, just giving you an idea of what, what we're seeing in the face. Uh, that's my uh, line drawing. Of oh, the it's Guardian. so Martian. He, he is. there's and he's two faces this. there, yes. Well, he has a face in the headdress. There's exactly, a little, yes. a little mask yeah. up there. Yep, yep. yep. So uh, when, to get this science paper uh, published, we had to uh, go through all the different images and show how this has uh, maintained its uh, um, form and shape and kept all of its uh, – uh, features. Okay, what, well, a, hang,
0: uh, on, hang on. What's the scale of this thing? What are we looking at? How many miles? How many hundred feet wide, tall? That kind of thing.
2: Well, it's it's about a, almost a mile across. It's it's pretty big.
5: So someone it's in the. Similar Canadian... to
2: things on Mars. Everything on Mars is very yeah, large. But, also, but you know?
5: it's twenty-two hundred feet. twenty-two hundred feet. Thank you. Down.
0: You mean uh, laterally from the top of the epigee down to the chin?
5: down to the chest
0: down to the chest, yeah, the chest 20 chest that's half a mile okay right. so you're saying the canadian government authorized someone to plant trees all over it
2: well this is a private property oh and the the person that owns this decided to plant trees along the nose and the mouth for some reason well maybe they now, were maybe the, they maybe they were paid to i i it's very suspicious.
5: Richard, they've known done... about the Badlands Guardians since 1937. Okay? Right. And when I brought this up at Ancient Aliens uh, Con, uh, Con, Alien Con in 2018, uh, and they did the episode where George Haas and Dr. Mark Carlotto were uh, season 14, episode 2, all of a sudden somebody created a Badlands Guardians new area on Google Earth and then they deleted the one that was pointing to where it was supposed to go. And when I brought that to Google Earth's attention, they suddenly moved it back because they realized it was in the wrong place because I put it, the picture with the burned in uh, So they deliberately
0: did it. a misdirection on the internet to keep people's interest from going anywhere.
3: Yeah, and they right. thought and they'd Richard, get away with it. Right, you,
2: currently you can't retrieve these earlier images. I, I have downloaded them all. Uh, but if you go on there now, you can't even see any of the older images. Really? So it's very mysterious. That's, now, this is a privately owned property, and the person that owns the property for some reason decided to plant trees where the nose and the mouth is.
0: <laughs> Have you done any due diligence on who owns the property, like a Dun done in Bradstreet? Who are they? What's their background? Do they work for the intel community? Because a lot of people in Wyoming and Montana, which is just below Alberta, are all ex-members, actually you're never ex, of the intelligence community. CIA, NSA, et cetera, et cetera. I know that because I was brought out there to do a presentation once and a whole bunch of really weird, I won't say this word on radio, things happened to me. Very weird.
2: Well, um, if if the audience clicks on and they have the time to read our paper, in the paper, one of our recommendations is that this is looked at um, by other people, because our paper, basically, we we think we put a strong case that this is artificial. And this should be a historical um, monument that's guarded and protected. Uh, if once we can get something like that done, my co-author, uh, William Saunders, who lives or used to live in Alberta, Canada, uh, he looked into that. Um, it's uh, very difficult to uh, contact the person that owns the farm, um, and he was unable to do anything like that. But uh, we're trying to get this as a protected land uh, mass up in Canada.
0: Which means the Canadian government would have to... De- Do they have the equivalent of national parks?
2: In Canada? Oh, yes, they have all kinds. And this is an indigenous area. Um, the interesting thing... So you ought to be able this, to
0: get an indigenous tribe to help you. You would think so. And you can't?
2: But it's very difficult. Uh, the, the tribal fathers up in Canada... Uh, they have been burned so many times by the uh, Canadian government that it's it's very difficult. I mean this is what I was told, I don't know. But it's very upsetting that the the person that owns the property is actually planting trees and disguising this information. <laughs> <permission. laughs> well, trees can be cut down. Mm. Yes, that's true, but they will they you know will destroy. This thing has been a permanent the years that we know that it existed. So it's it's pretty permanent, but for someone to come in and and, and on purpose plant trees on this, it's it's very uh, disheart- well. It's
0: obvious to hide it, and
2: I think they're being. Paid. I would think so. Yeah, right. That would be like the rumors that you know NASA was going to blow up the face on Mars, and everybody was afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Event, right? so, so you never know; they'll do anything they can to stop us from finding this out.
5: You know, they, so- uh, there was a View Earth View uh, website that was doing what Google Earth does. And they covered it up with uh, clouds. And the shadows of the clouds on the ground didn't match what was in the sky. <laughs> but the Badlands well, Guardian Companion was day. still there. <laughs> yeah. And why would you put out a satellite photo uh, with a whole bunch of clouds? Because they covered it up. But I could see where the companion was, and then I could locate where it was in that, in that whole thing. And they covered it up. All you could see was, like, the bottom part of the chest.
2: And that was about it.
0: Okay, well, Tempest is fugiting, so let's go to number three.
2: Right. Well, number three, um, doing the science paper, of course, you have to put science in this. Um, I did an analysis of the... Well, wait, uh, wait,
0: you you keep referring to this paper. Give us the background of this paper between you guys, okay?
2: William Saunders, myself, and uh, an image analyst, uh, James Miller, and a geologist, uh, Michael Dale, Uh, We've been working on a paper about the Badlands Guardian since 2018, and it was just published recently in the Journal of uh, Scientific Exploration, uh, 2002. So we've been working on this a long time. Uh, In the time that we were working on this, unfortunately, um, Michael Dale had passed away two years ago, Mm. uh, which was very unfortunate. And we had kind of set the paper aside because we only had this one image. And then I was at the uh, Ancient Aliens conference. That's when I met up with Keith again. I had met Keith originally in Gaithersburg at the X conference when you had spoke there. Ah, uh, yes, that's when I first met Keith. So I've known Keith all the way back since the early two thousands, and kept in contact with him. And uh, he lives right in Maryland. I'm in Virginia, so we're not far away. So I went to the. I was invited to speak um, at the Ancient Aliens conference, and I. I saw Keith there, and we we were hanging out, and we went to one of the big rooms where they were doing discussions, and Keith, tell them what you did with your cell phone.
5: Yeah, um, I had shown uh, Kevin Burns, the Badlands Guardian, earlier that morning because I kind of ambushed him going into his staging area, (laughs) and I said, I didn't get to show this to Eric Von Danigan, and I show him my phone with the Badlands Guardian on it, and he says, well, I got to – wait a minute, and he starts staring at it really hard. And, yeah, the, the good 2006 picture. Right. And then that evening when we were in the uh, the big conference and everybody was, the audience was there, uh, I I said, uh, Eric, I didn't get to show you this. And I held my camera up. I mean, my phone well, up. So you with were up at the microphone. It. Yeah, I was at the microphone first. And I'm, and he
2: had the cock shell. And.
5: <laughs> And then uh, Kevin Burns starts elbowing Eric Von Bondanigan going, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to see this. You got to see this. Bring it up. And I bring it up there, and Eric goes, there is this. There is this. Because <laughs> he didn't know it existed. Right. Like most, none of the guys knew that it existed until I brought it to their attention. And that's when uh, they decided that I guess they were going to do the uh, episode on – the Badlands Guardian, which they had uh, you and um, – and let me get a hold of Ron here. You guys continue. Okay.
2: Yeah, um, so that's when I uh, rehooked up with uh, Keith, and that kind of gave a shot in the arm to our Badlands Guardian research because talking to Keith, uh, he had access to these other images, these um, earlier images. So we started putting that all together, working with Keith. He joined us to put the paper together, and uh, – So that's when the paper was finished, uh, submitted last year, and it was published in the uh, Journal of Scientific Exploration, which uh, we were just very pleased with. Terrific. So if the audience takes a look at number three, uh, that's just a a proportional study showing the, uh, the proportions of the human face with the eye, nose, mouth, lips, chin, and it matches up perfectly with the Badlands Guardian.
0: Yeah, we did the so same thing part- with, with the face of Sidonia when uh, Jim Shannon joined our group for a while, and the proportions right. of the face on Mars are human proportions. That was our first. So this clue. is
2: human, correct? Human proportions. This isn't just random geology that formed this. Is what most geologists up in Canada want to say. They do not want to admit that this was an indigenous uh, culture that produced this. Uh, the, if the audience goes to number four, I have a native uh, Indian. Uh, showing uh, facial features, which are very oh, similar wow. with the, the slanted uh, nose coming down with the forehead. And those all match perfectly. That is a 100% match, wow, which is amazing. So this is more evidence that this is uh, something that was crafted and, and produced. Now, the interesting thing we mentioned late earlier was that this was found uh, up in Alberta, Canada. Now, right next to Alberta, Canada, where this uh, Badland Guardian is, there's a little Indian settlement called Medicine Hat. Oh, I've heard of no. that. Yeah. Right. Medicine Hat is right down the street from where this is. And um, this portrait in number five, that is a picture of uh, many horses, and he's wearing a medicine hat. That's called a medicine hat. And this is the same kind of feathering that is in the Badlands Guardian. And it's very interesting that you have a portrait of a indigenous-type Indian with a headdress that is called Medicine Hat-type headdress. And there's a little settlement right next to it called Medicine Hat. Uh, You just can't make this stuff up.
0: No, the coincidences are piling up.
2: They are. Uh, Then we did research, of course, we're finding a lot of connections with this type of thing, uh, this iconography in Mesoamerica. And this is just a regular Maya glyph uh, of a Maya lord with a a typical uh, medicine hat-type headdress. The
0: the Guardian looks Mayan. He does. Definitely Mayan, which means he looks Martian.
2: (laughs) I didn't... I was going to say that. <laughs> it's all starting to put the pieces together Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Now, and this idea of creating uh, geoglyphs, uh, this is an American Indian, the next one in number seven. That's just a, uh, an image of a, um, uh, a geoglyph that was produced by uh, an American artist called Stan Hurd. This is in Kansas, and this is a huge uh, geoglyph of American Indian, again, with the same type of medicine hat thing going on. Uh, Just showing this is a typical uh, expression of art. People make geoglyphs in the land. Have
0: you made contact with this guy and had him look at the Guardian?
2: Uh, No, I haven't.
0: I think that would be a good idea.
2: That's the the, uh, next thing on the list. (laughs) So so the other thing I did in the paper was, uh, of course, we're trying to compare uh, the Badlands Guardian and its permanency. Uh, with uh, human anatomy and the proportions. So I went to this uh, beautiful portrait of uh, Genghis Khan, uh, which is uh, a nice portrait of him. He's wearing a little hat, and he's got his mustache there. And we did a comparison of his facial proportions with your a typical uh, – So
0: wait, this is uh, another geoglyph. I see a highway at the bottom left corner.
2: Yes, this is, this is uh, Genghis Khan. This is in Mongolia. Oh, This was uh, built by the uh, the local people to um, uh, as a memorial to Genghis Khan. It's on the side of a mountain, kind of like um, the Badlands Guardian. So I'm using this as a comparative uh, image. Now, in the paper, we show that uh, currently, I think there's three or four images of this that Google has taken. The last image they took, I mean, half of this is gone already. It's just deteriorating because nobody's taking care of it. Well, so,
0: I'm, I'm, you lost me. Which image are we talking about? Khan or? The Genghis
2: Khan. Oh. The Genghis Khan, you can find probably four uh, Google images of different years, which are documented in the paper.
0: Well, how old is it? This?
2: Um, this only dates to uh, this century. Oh, so I, I it's relatively think. recent. Yeah, it's re- relatively recent. And it's, it's deteriorating because nobody's taking care no of one it. No
0: one's chafing it up, yeah. Right.
2: So I used the best image of the Genghis Khan in Mongolia, and I found this beautiful portrait of a Mongolian man – uh, with the same type of long face, and he's got a hat on. Oh, I mean, it was wow. a, a perfect find. And uh, well, his, that. his portrait only has about four out of seven uh, matches. Right, So if this, was found on, if this was found on Mars, the Genghis Khan, they'd say this was just natural because it doesn't match. <laughs> so that's the kind of argument we we're making. So on Mars, the, the alignments are, are perfect that we're seeing with the um, – not Mars, I mean in, in Alberta – Mm-hmm. with the Alberta Badlands Guardian. And if anyone in the audience is familiar with the Badlands Guardian, uh, hopefully they've heard about the um, the Badlands Shaman, which is right down the street. If you look at uh, the Google Image 10, click on that, uh, it'll give you the location of where the Badlands Guardian is. It's labeled A. Okay. And then right to the west of that, there's another geoglyph. So the Badlands Guardian is not alone. This is the, the, the second guardian, which I call the Badlands Shaman. And if you look at that, uh, it's a portrait. He appears to have a, a, a long chin or a beard. He's got a weird headdress with teeth coming out of the side. You can see the nose, mouth. He's got a recessed eye, shadowed. So we, we not only have the one geoglyph of the Badlands Guardian, we have a secondary glyph uh, just to the west of that.
5: And, so and,
0: a, and, and, and that's what we're seeing in close-up in number 11.
2: Yes, number eleven is the uh, the close-up of the shaman, the, the second guardian.
0: Oh, that's extraordinary! You don't even need your sketch.
2: No, it's blatantly I mean,
0: it's blatantly obvious, and he looks like looks like a Viking.
2: Uh, yes, another
0: one of my um, ancestors.
2: <clears throat> right. So, uh, and what I've done in twelve and thirteen is just show a similar uh, Maya uh, headdress that looked very similar to that.
3: Oh, uh, look at there's that! There's
2: thirteen. Thirteen actually has the, the fangs and the teeth and things coming out, very similar to what you're seeing at, in Canada. So again, both of these images, the Badland Guardian and the second guardian, the shaman, they both have these Mesoamerican kind of connections. Look very omic, and, of course, uh, Mayan and Martian.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay, keep going.
2: So this whole idea of uh, – Badlands Guardian. He has a feathered headdress, and he's got a little mask up there. So this whole idea of this avian connection to the the headdress. Uh, on Mar- Now we're going to go back to Mars. We're going from uh, Canada, uh, showing all the uh, iconography that's finding references into uh, Mesoamerica. Uh, now we're going to go to Mars to do a comparison with a pictograph and geoglyph on Mars uh, that looks very much similar to what we're seeing in canada we have very similar ideas here we have a, a profiled face which has a avian headdress now i originally thought this looked like a viking lord mm-hmm. but the, the science paper it's called the uh, a bearded profile with avian headdress and this was also uh, produced in, the, in a science journal so the, the number 14 is just showing you the boxed area where this is located
0: well it appears this- to be on the on the Talus slope of a very large crater with those mountains being the rim.
2: Exactly. This is located in a large crater. Uh, There's other pictographic images in the crater, but the interesting thing about this Viking Lord or this bearded profile that we're looking at, it's located very near the rim of the crater. Now, the American Indian serpent mound is actually constructed on the rim of a crater. You
0: mean in Ohio? In Ohio,
2: the Serpent Mound in Ohio is actually constructed on the rim of an ancient crater.
0: Oh, now that's Most people don't realize
2: that. Now the reason I, the wonder, I, wonder, I, wonder, say I wonder, they I built it there. I wonder if was Michael Hill
0: knows that. Michael Hill is a uh, you know Native American who's been on the show many times and has deep connections to Ohio and has been talking about the ceremonial and other you know religious connections of places like Serpent Mountain. I wonder if he knows it's on the rim of an ancient crater. Hmm.
2: Right. Well, the archaeologists say that the reason they built that there is because of the, the, the power that radiates there.
0: Oh. And you have very
2: similar powers in the, this radiation of the, uh, all of this kind of energy.
0: Well, that gets into around. the idea of Earth energies and the torsion field hyperdimensional
2: physics model. And it's an image of a serpent, which is that very electrical, uh, you know, that field type of energy idea Mm -hmm. so we found it very interesting that this this uh, formation was on the the, around the rim of a crater now jumping uh well hang on hang on we
0: are literally at the bottom of the hour so let uh, us pause that'd be good
2: because then we'll get the close-up of the uh, excellent the viking lord
0: okay we are going to pause briefly here my guest this morning in the first two hours is george haas we're discussing the geoglyph connections the obvious blatant Point by point by point comparisons you can do between these vast, super megalithic art forms molded out of the landscape, out of the geology, out of the terrain, both on Mars and on Earth. And we shall return to this, and you're going to be very intrigued where it's going to lead. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight for this Sunday night, July 31, 2022. My guest tonight is George Haas for the first couple hours, and then we'll be joined by John Womack and Ron Gerbron, and of course, Keith is here. And they've done this collaborative paper on this incredible earth effigy, the Badlands Guardian. If, in fact, our great, 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 great grandmothers, pioneered this art form on the desolate, windswept plains and crater rims of the planet Mars. When they were forced to come home, because, of course, they didn't originate on Mars, at least we don't think. We think that they originally migrated many, many millions of years before, and then when Mars inevitably deteriorated, as it did, ultimately passing through the stage of the Lowellian Mars with canals and preserving water and the atmosphere getting thinner and thinner and ultimately unbreathable. They were, or some of them, some of our own people, were forced to come here, to return to Earth, to return to their point of origin. And the rest, as they say, is history, George? What do you think?
2: I think we're on our way to disclosure here. That that horrible word.
0: <laughs> I really <laughs> hate that word. Oh, I know. Yes. It, it,
2: um, this it, area we're looking at with this crater here, with this uh, pictograph or geoglyph inside of it, it. This is in Utopia.
0: An interesting this name. <laughs>
2: the, this is in the Utopia area of Mars, right. which is right above uh, Elysium. That's where all the pyramids were of, got, it, uh, got it, Carl Sagan the, it huge, right above that. the
0: huge, miles wide Tetrahedral pyramids Correct On Elysium
2: Long so This before, is the northeastern yeah. uh, hemisphere of Mars uh, Excellent the Complete parallel other side of the planet where Sidonia is If you look at a map of Mars Sidonia is to the east and Utopia is to the west these are the two areas that Dr. Brandenburg talks about where they dropped the bomb in Utopia and Sidonia.
0: So yeah, that's, that's a, a whole very complicated program. discussion. I'm not so sure it was a bomb.
2: <laughs> so that's where this is. Uh, now, if the audience, if they're sitting down, please sit and take a look at number 15.
3: <laughs> okay. Now, this
2: is my drawing uh, with the the Viking or the bearded profile with the avian headdress. Right. Now, the interesting thing about this, um, he has a number three on his uh, scarf. You can see the helmets he's wearing. He's, there's a bird head. The interesting thing, this is a Mars reconnaissance orbiter image. This is a high res image. This mm. is an amazing image. There's all detail. There's about seven or eight images of this all together with Mars Global Surveyor, uh, Themis images. So there's a lot of uh, images that document this and confirm what we're looking at
0: independent data
2: independent data now if you look up into the beak of the the bird the head the bird and the, in the hat drawing you see the little grid there that's a piece of corn I, I'm seeing that as a uh, a piece of corn that's in his mouth that's a corn cob oh, yeah He's holding a corn cob in his mouth.
0: It hey, might you can be, see the
2: highly textured
0: George it might be amaranth I've always well, felt take... that
2: amaranth did not originate
0: on Earth. That's a very long story. It might be amaranth, which is a very exotic South American plant and and cob-like, uh, uh, you know, grain. Uh, right,
2: that's the plant that they uh, use down there. And uh, didn't that evolve into corn? Yes, yes. And and botanists don't know where it came from. Exactly, so that's what got it me just intrigued. Started. Yes, I I've been on the same path you are, brother. <laughs> We haven't talked for years. Corn is a very prominent product in South American these cultures. Absolutely. So if you look at that image of the what I call the Viking Lord early on, uh, that
0: well, remember that there's a whole Sumerian culture, which looks like uh, you know us white guys, but they have beards. I mean, we know that that Mars was a multi-racial multicultural set of societies and to be laid out in future work but i have now found two incredible busts slash heads of what look like black rulers you know relatives of keith on mars like it's wakanda so well
2: we're finding the same thing on mars with this intercultural uh artifacts. Yes. Yes. This this is the same thing archaeologists are puzzled about with the Olmec. Uh, We have Olmec sculptures. You have Olmec heads
0: that look like they're African, but maybe they're really Martian because, and I've got to remember to put this up for one of our Mars shows, these are two clearly defined African looking guys, and they have headdress regalia, which means they were elevated guys. They were not peons or slaves or whatever. They were part of the ruling class of whatever culture on Mars they were built to depict, which tells us a huge amount about how we were all one sandamily, as my grandmother used to say, before we came to Earth and all got nuts.
2: Before it all fell apart. Yes. So if we move on to um, number 16... This is just your typical American Indian shaman. This is a crow chief with or shaman with his. Uh, he's got a bird. He's got a. Uh, that's a stuffed uh, parrot or something on his. No, head. No,
0: it look well. It, yeah, it, it 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 could be a parrot. I was thinking initially but, it could be a falcon, but it it may be a parrot.
2: Could right. be a falcon. Or a falcon, that's true. Could
0: be a falcon. Uh, but
2: it's just this is a very common uh, image that you would see in a lot of these cultures where they people would have uh, birds on their heads. Um, I think in the, the new movie they did of uh, the Lone Ranger, they had Johnny Depp running around with a uh, Yes, yes, a, remember a crow that? on his head. Yes. Uh, the crow on his head. yeah. Another little hint saying, you know you might want to look to Mars to find these kind of crazy things. Yeah, he was running around with a, a crow on his head. So um, the interesting thing is number 17. This is from the Dresden Codex. This is the uh, God L, who is the god of the underworld. Now, notice the bird that he has in his headdress. The bird on the top of its head is a corncob. Not in his mouth, but on the top of his head. Now, that's not my explanation of what's on top of the bird's head. This is archaeologists that talk about this iconography and everything. You have the... Or oh, it elk. could be amaranth. It could be amaranth, exactly. But he has this corncob type of object on the top of his head. Hmm. And I find it very interesting that we have a similar bird with a corncob in its mouth. Uh, on Mars
0: My God so that's, yes.
2: Now the, uh, the last shot here Before we go to the uh, Perseverance uh, Artifacts Is this is another comparison Number 18 I'd like the audience to click oh on my this God! George. This is a coin From uh, Afghan Iraq area uh, This is uh, Kawarazan Area oh, okay. This dates to about 300 A.D. And this is almost, you know, it's a could be the cousin of the guy on Mars. Good grief, I mean, it's, yeah. he's got the beard, he's got the headdress, the, the flange that hangs in the back, like the, the, you know, the scarf to the, keep the sun off your, uh, your neck, and he's got a, a bird head on the top.
0: Well, do you want to hear a weird, weird, far-out idea that I actually voiced on uh, Coast to Coast many years ago? I would. Why did we really invade Iraq and then Afghanistan? Oh, I could tell you. Well, I think we're looking at one of the potential reasons. Right. Well, reasons. The,
2: reason we went, the reason we went into Kuwait was not because uh, Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait.
3: <sighs> the, the first
2: thing Saddam Hussein did when he went into Kuwait, he didn't take the oil fields. He left and burned them. He raided the Kuwaiti Museum, which had all the cuneiform tablets and all the of the Sumerian history. Now, about six months before Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, which started the whole war and everything… Uh, It was in the New York Times that uh, Kuwaiti archaeologists had found a large stash in this burial site of these ancient Sumerian cuneiform and um, the little cylinder seals also that Mm -hmm. you roll out and has all this information, Mm -hmm. which, you know, Zachariah Sitchin talks about and all this information about Anunnaki coming here and the whole connection to the bases on Mars. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the whole Iraqi war was about. And the reason they were trying to get into all those temples was because they thought that's where he hid all of this stuff. They weren't looking for weapons of mass destruction. They were looking for archaeology.
0: And maybe now ancient did... maybe ancient
2: technology. Exactly. Now, what did we do when we went into uh, Iraq? We emptied the museum.
0: Well, we put guards around all the oil facilities, and we left the museum totally unguarded. And it got broken into, which was obviously an inside job because the guys didn't break in. They used keys.
2: Yeah. Well, that was
0: us. Yes, of course.
2: So everybody was diverted to oil fields and and yellow cake. And And they even lit the oil fields
0: on fire. So you had all those incredible videos showing burning skies. Iraq is burning. And while we're all looking over there, dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum.
2: That's exactly what happened, Richard. That's my take, anyway. Well, it was That's my the take whole, back the when war was about Back when the war was I was, on,
0: I was on coast saying this decades ago during the Iraq war that we should be booking at the Dan Museum because they're going to steal stuff, and lo and behold, they did.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think we stole it.:
0: Well, I say they, whoever yeah. they were, but we supported right. them, we gave them the, you know the, mm-hmm. the Marines yeah. as guards and all that. But yeah, it
2: was us. So looking at this coin, you could see why they were very interested in this area.
0: Wow, this is amazing, George. This is really first-rate research,
2: first-rate. Well, thank you, sir. So that concludes uh, the Mars connection. Well, it doesn't conclude. I guess it goes on and on and on. (laughs) But uh, in both of these uh, formations, the Badland Guardian and the uh, Bearded Port with the avian headdress both are science papers that the audience uh, if they're interested they can go on my website and find uh, links to the papers or I think you might have uh, supplied I think, links to those I think also. there's
0: a link next to your bio I'm, I'm checking right now yes there is um, there's the websites there's the SPSR sure. paper there's the Sidonia Codex the Martian Codex more reflections from Mars the Mars Codex and your bio looking very dapper with that mustache. Wow.
2: Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, Dr. Brandenburg took that picture. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, I got this. <laughs> I always to have Sean. to throw that out there. You know, okay. little name calling. Uh, the next phase of this discussion brings us back to uh, the uh,
4: surface of Back to of Mars Jezero world. Crater.
2: Right. And this first one here, the number 19, that's showing the – the shot of the, what I call the plastic shard. Um, yeah, uh, Ron, and I have,
0: Ron and I have looked at it, and he called it the shiny object, which was kind of a pun, meaning it mm-hmm. was a diversion, you know, shiny object, shiny baubles, to politically right. divert attention from real stuff. But to me, not only was the shiny object interesting, but look at that thing in the background. That looks like a Martian eye beam.
2: No, I said the same thing, Richard. Yes, it's like, oh, no, look at this piece of plastic that came off the parachute, but don't look at that I-beam.
0: Exactly, <laughs> and then don't look at the big grand piano cam-like devices <laughs> down in front. I know. Just look at the uh, oil fields on fire. Yes, of course, of course, yeah.
4: That's fairly typical behavior on their part.
0: Ah, Ron, Ron, yes.
4: Yeah, it took me two hours to log into the show, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I've missed a lot of it.
2: Well, you'll have to listen to the rebroadcast.
3: So uh, of
4: the, course.
2: The number 20 is just a close-up showing that uh, odd plastic piece or whatever it is. Okay,
0: let me tell you why this picture, which NASA says is a piece of the EDL equipment that lowered Perseverance softly to the uh, floor of a Jezero crater, I think they're telling us the truth. Because, A, look at the geometric dots all over it. It looks like a thermal blanket of some kind. It looks like it's a fabric which has been rit- ripped and shredded along the bottom right. there. I but, see that. But the thing that really makes it stand out is it's brilliant, shiny aluminum color. It's not coated with a lot of Martian dust. Yeah. So it And it would, got
2: stuck on a high beam. How, what are the odds?
0: Well, how did it get there? It had to obviously fall from a higher place to get there unless the wind and the atmosphere are much stronger than even I think, because I think the atmosphere of Mars is about one tenth of the air we're breathing right now. But the reason this goes back to the origin and age of the, of the two other objects that NASA's put forward, at least the one, the string and then your Martian bag, they do not look like this. In fact, they look very ancient and um, oxidized like they're very old and relatively recently exposed to the Martian surface, but they're nothing like what we brought from Earth because they're aged. They don't look new. They look old, like they were old fossils buried and then recently excavated by some process, probably the wind and the suflation of the former muds. So they've fallen out of that cliff above where Perseverance currently is, and that's why I know they're indigenous to Mars and something we did not bring with us.
2: Right. Yeah, this one gives you something to compare them with, that you could buy the story that this is something that blew off, uh, you know, it's, it's some type of thermal uh, protection. And uh, the other two are very anomalous.
0: Well, the only thing NASA didn't do, which they used to do in the old day, old days, is they didn't take a piece of the rover thermal blanket and put it up side by side with this picture and say, see, count the holes, look at the geometry, look at the reflection. It's obvious that this is it. They just basically said, okay, this is what it is. We're NASA and you're not. Believe us.
2: Right. Yeah. It's it's a whole new uh, way of looking at things. Yep. So after this, it brings us back to the, uh, which I called the mesh uh, wrap our, um, this is the actual image where there's this big, massive piece of uh, sedimentary rock, a big, just a big chunk of it sitting there on the ground. This is one of Neville's uh, uh, gigapans that he did. And he does beautiful work. He really does. I'm
0: going to have him on the show. We're just looking you should, you should have him. Neville
2: on. He, he's yeah. amazing. He yeah. does some beautiful work. Well, we're, we're, I think he just does these in his sleep. He doesn't. <laughs> uh, I don't know how fast he does these. It's we, amazing.
0: We just have to align our schedules so the dates, you know, so he can come on. So.
2: Right, and it has a little uh, box there showing you uh, uh, an enlargement of uh, right on the left side there, where, it's, where that this is just sitting there,
0: just sitting there, just sitting there.
2: Uh, some people have said it
0: looks like a uh, snakeskin. That was that was Morning Star.
2: Right. So uh, it's interesting. It does seem to have some type of uh, uh, dark patterns on it, also besides all of the mesh. Uh, it, it's it's an anomaly. It's it's really a, a, a head scratcher. I'll tell you.
0: Well, why do you say that? Yeah, if it, if it's right. biological, it doesn't belong there.
2: If right. It, if well, it, either way, yeah. If it's
0: human, it doesn't belong there. It almost doesn't matter what it is. It's definitely not natural. It's made by some living system, either intrinsically, a, a shed snake skin, or through technology, human. You know, making string bags to carry home their oranges on Mars. it cannot be from the Mars that NASA's trying to sell us for the last fifty years cannot be it's not a rock. it does not belong even if we brought it with us, which i I incredibly doubt because of the age. It does not belong. so once you eliminate it from Percy, the only other two possibilities, going back to Sherlock Holmes are. It's either indigenous Martians or it's indigenous Martians.
2: Did you notice the white uh, popcorn-looking things on the surface also? There's one right next to it. There's a couple more if you zoom out. Well, the
0: the little thing – They're
2: very strange too. The little
0: thing in the bottom left looks to me like the symmetrical skull of something with heavy eyebrow ridges, like a lemur or a marmoset or something – very small, very tiny brain, but definitely something that was once alive, because when I actually worked on this in, uh, in Photoshop last night a bit, you can see its symmetry. It's got eyebrow ridges. It's got a nose ridge. It's got symmetrical right. eye sockets. It does not look like a rock.
2: Right. But the piece I'm calling popcorn? Yeah. It's that right. white thing. Yeah, my our, my friend Jim Miller had looked at that, and he, he said it looked like a skull. He, he was showing me some it's of that, a so he's on the same tiny, path you are. Yeah.
0: little tiny animal skull, I think. Right. But it's not like an animal I've ever seen on Earth. Right. Which opens up really interesting possibilities.
3: Right.
2: Now the the next slide, twenty three. This is what NASA had put out saying that this was just wrapped uh, from the uh, inside the, uh, the the rover.
0: Well, the, Which, thing, uh... the thing that says that's not true is, where is the color? All right? It's, it's faded. And, and by the way, the background rover image has been incredibly faded deliberately. When you look at real color balanced images from the rover, all mm-hmm. that stuff is brilliant orange. It's not almost faded away. They've done that deliberately. Again, they keep doing things deliberately.
2: Right. Well, if you look at the uh the metal brad here that's with the sleeve, the, the squares on it are much larger than what you're seeing on this little right. you know, baggy on the it's not the same uh, nope. pattern. Nope. No. So
0: nice try, guys, of,
2: but no cigar. Right. And of course the last slide here is the um of of the trash that the uh, is thinking that we're you know, we're going to Mars and just throwing trash everywhere, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it's, in a it's, place it's, with hundreds of thousands of square miles we just happen to all find the trash even well, though there's my, so much of it we can't miss it, it, it <laughs> exactly i mean we we just cannot drive around it because it's so much come on guys and
2: and how how is the rover forming if it's just all of these pieces are falling off <laughs> <laughs> well i think so they're like claiming, an old jalopy.
0: i think like they well I, I think they're claiming this came from the whole very violent descent and landing with the aeroshell and the uh, sky crane right. and all that. But the idea that a random piece would fall exactly where you're going to wander to look at something scientific and important. I mean, yeah, there's a few pieces of stuff we brought with us, but they're scattered over thousands of square miles.
2: Thousands. I free three already.
0: <laughs> it's bizarre. Not if you know NASA. Right. And now they,
2: in the next slide, they stumbled across, across a piece of coral.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. The famous which is pretty amazing. The famous little yeah. coral flowers that Rogero has done some really amazing sketches.
2: Right. Well, just doing side by sides of actual coral. I mean, this is pretty close. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yep. They're trying to say that this was inside of a rock that was like veins. And then when the rock deteriorated and fell, you know, was uh, through all the erosion, this the interior harder pieces were left, which is like, you know, you really have to go out of your way to make up these stories to, to make an explanation. Well, I hear a rumor
0: that NASA is not recri- recruiting new grad students now. They're actually going after pretzels it's because <laughs> the people that they hire have to contort themselves into such pretzel shapes. They figure, well, why cut off the just cut off the middleman and go directly to pretzels. Oh,
2: that you're our man. <laughs> so moving on from the coral, because uh, I know we're running out of time here.
7: Uh, uh, this is my favorite. This is favorite. the famous
2: uh, entranceway. The Martian door. The Martian door. Uh, I didn't include the slide, but this, this door is not on the ground. The rover's not, like, sitting in front of us looking at it. Oh, no. This doorway is actually way on the top of a, a ridge. Yep. Way up, up top uh, from the rover. Uh, but when NASA released this as uh, one of their images of the day again, uh, it made it look like to the public like the rover's sitting right there looking at this doorway. But it, the doorway's way up. And there's a lot of controversy about the size of this. Uh, I kind of estimated it to be about six feet high, but NASA is saying it's no more than 10 or 12 inches.
0: Our estimates, based on other geometry, is six to nine feet high. Now, do you know that just to the right there's a wall, a huge wall with regular blocks? And then right down close to the uh, rover, right in front of the rover, there's another set of blocks that are much smaller like bricks. They're about the size of human bricks. So wow. this area is studded with artificial significators of human constructional activity. And the only people that don't see all this for what it is are the people who work for NASA.
5: George, George, did you, did you notice that on the right side of that door on the wall, there's an image of a fish and a seal overlaying the seal is overlaying the uh, fish? If that was nine inches tall, somebody had to get there with a magnifying glass to to, to etch that into that stone
2: <laughs> I, now, I, so. I didn't see that, but I, I noticed that the now if this was NASA's saying this is just an outcrop that popped out of the the, uh, um, the mountain ridge, the, the ridge there and caused this hole. But if you look at the interior, this looks like polished uh, marble that, that wall on the inside that's a flat wall if this was a and this is sitting in serrated. Um, segmented rock would see all the the, the, the layers and mm-hmm. the interior would be the same thing you'd, you'd see the repeated layer inside just like you see on the outside there with that little uh, ridge coming and out you don't. but the interior is totally different totally so it different. looks like and sheet you, rock you, you, know?
0: see, you see the little door on the left hand side next to the pillar behind it with the shadows like you go in, you make a sharp left turn you can go parallel yeah to that wall on the left inside. Right. No, there's no doubt this is a man-made doorway. When I say man-made, because it is men, it is humans. It's not ancient, you know, Aboriginal Martians. It's us who did this. Why? Because it looks very similar to stuff that Ron found in Central America that have even the iconography, like it's on that pillar when you look at the, uh, uh, you know, enhanced versions that we've done. So moving
5: on, moving on. on On the side of the DNM pyramid, there is a fish vertically, and there is a seal next to that. And that's behind this other figure that's a humanoid figure. So the Anunnaki had what they called fish suits, and I believe they had what they called seal suits. The fish suit was like a space suit, and the seal suit was less intrusive as a space suit. But it's just coincidence.
2: Yeah, it, it's very interesting. Uh, the next slide shows um, just a comparison. I, I have the, the doorway on Mars, the entryway, and then this is just an entryway to a mine. Okay. Out, out in the Midwest. It just shows it's very similar. I mean, And my, my contention is if this is 12 inches high or 6 feet high, uh, it doesn't matter how big the gun is. It's still smoking.
0: Well, see, you're making the point that I made before. Why do we assume that Martians, quote, in a totally separate environment, both gravitationally and much more important, hyperdimensionally, why would they, we assume that they're our scale? Now, there's other indicators that, in fact, these guys were our scale, which means that NASA has been lying about the size of the doorway, and they made it really hard to find the distance of the door from the rover, so we could independently calculate the scale. Hey, we're at the uh, top of the hour, so let's pause. My guests this morning are George Haas. You've heard um, Ron's dulcet tones there, Ron Gerbron. And, of course, Keith has been with us back and forth for many, many, many moons. Um, Are we on some kind of countdown to that terrible word disclosure. Because in the last hour, we're going to show you something that I literally found on Mars in the middle of the night last night, yesterday after the power came back that I put up on the site and we'll get to it in the next 60 minutes. Frankly, it's all part of a continuous whole where NASA seems to be showing us incredible anomalies showing them to us but simply not commenting why not because it's soak time
1: To tell us past messages through the vest of the Please close your eyes and concentrate With every thought you think
3: Upon the recitation
1: we're about to say Holy occupants of interplanetary craft. And
0: welcome back on this Sunday night To the uh, last hour of The Other Side of Midnight For July 31st Grading into August 1st, 2022 My guests this morning are George Haas And Ron Gerbrand We're going to be drawn by uh, jo- Jonathan Womack shortly And of course Keith Morgan is with us He and uh, George have collaborated with a number of other uh, researchers on a paper, a peer-reviewed scientific paper on the fascinating Badlands Guardian. So fascinating that the guy who owns the farm where this half-mile-long epigee, this three-dimensional Martian-like epigee lives, has begun planting trees on the nose and the mouth. Gosh, I'd love to look at his bank account See where those checks came from. So, if we're calling occupants of interplanetary craft, as seems to be the case, because we've got official UFO UAP offices now established, and when they they changed the name now in the Pentagon to the multi-domain anomaly office or something, which of course includes hyperdimensional hyperdimensions, multi-domain, give me a break. Are we, in fact, not talking to aliens at all? Are we talking to family? Is this all about how old and how ancient and how amazing we really are and how for decades, if not hundreds of years, someone has been trying to keep us from knowing who we are and the fact that at one point we, human beings, came back to Earth from Mars And are doing it all over again. Or maybe not. Okay, back to our guest of the morning. Uh, Has Jonathan joined us?
7: Keith? I have.
0: Ah, super. Well, John, have you been listening? And if so, why don't you give us some uh, kind of comments and reaction, and then we'll have George and Ron uh, move ahead.
7: Sure. The first thing I'd like to mention is, uh, let's see, it's item number, it's the mesh. And when I saw that image, my first thought was, hey, that looks like one of my 3D models. Uh, I use Blender mostly for uh, creating these meshes, and then you attach materials and textures to the outside of the mesh. The mesh is just made up of little triangles. Well,
0: you, you mean you're talking in a digital virtual reality construction of a graphic. You lay out this mesh on the screen in the program, and then you put the real stuff to make stuff that makes it look real and human and three d on top of the mesh. the mesh is the underlying geometry
7: in the computer exactly, and the more triangles you put in there, the more definition you get let's say if you 're making a human face, um, but yeah, I thought of a face and it kind of reminded me of a a bunny rabbit looking at the camera <laughs> and he 's got you know the two ears on top of his head there and uh, there's the little skull, baby bunny rabbit skull next to it or something. But who knows, because they, the Martians have all this, this rock engineering where, like, we build houses with wood and nails. They used, you know, crystalline lattices and, and different chemicals. They'd put in the stones and make all this incredible, you know, their technology was just so far ahead of us.
2: Yeah. I see the bunny rabbit now. <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah, what's that commercial? It keeps going and going. Right. So that's my take on The that. last
2: slide here with the, the doorway is uh, NASA's explanation that this is just a fractured uh, surface that popped out of the, uh, the the ridge there. And this was actually an example of a fractured wall that they presented as evidence that this This is, is, the same this thing. is, n- this is number 28. Number 28. Yep. That's NASA's explanation for this hole in the wall. Here. They're nuts. But hey, it looks exactly alike, doesn't it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, this is OK. How blatant. It's my crazy.
0: grandmother would have a pithy comment and
4: I presume Ron does, too. Ron. Oh, uh, you want an off the cuff pithy comment? I just got back on the on my here. So you're having calm
0: problems tonight.
4: Uh, yeah, I, I said my backup battery uh, or the connector crapped out. It was it was leaching the battery uh, on the phone instead of charging it. That's oh my! why I kept shutting off. Okay, I'm looking and at numbers. Signals, the signal's crap anyway. So tell me what you're doing and Okay, I'm well we we, use... we were
0: talking about the now. Martian
4: doorway. Why don't we
0: move on so that Ron can kind of get the gist of what we're talking about? Right. Go to go to number go to number twenty nine. That's astonishing. Good.
2: Now, this is a sunner. This is a archaeological textual fragment I call it. Yep. This was actually taken by the Curiosity. This is nowhere near the um
0: Well, it's over crater. in Gale
2: Crater. Yeah, this this is on somewhere else. Yeah. Well, it's the but other th- rover. I thought this was so I thought this was so interesting that I should uh Well, of course. put it up here. And uh it's amazing the geometry in this, if you look at the bottom where it's it's cut out and then it's got this little v that shoots in there there's no and it also has a ridge like it's a part of a uh, lentil it's like amazing. like as
0: over the mark by the way, how do the NASA folks explain away the damn curved lintel over the door on Mars?
2: Oh yeah, on the little doorway,
0: they ignore it. You know, whatever doesn't fit your model, just ignore and make a big diversion. Well, you saw
2: the comparison that the case closed. Yeah, of course, of course. Okay. So oh, going what back. What next in number 30 is I do a uh, – this is in uh, Palenque.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: this is the uh, – I think the Temple of the Skull. This is just a detail showing you the archway and this triangular uh, alcove that goes up. Very, very similar, not exactly alike, but just trying to show this is very architectural.
0: By the way, did you ever see a film, guys, I know Ron has, uh, George, hmm. called Forbidden Planet?
2: Oh, yeah. When they find that, that artifact, that right.
0: head? Well, no, no, no. Forbidden Planet. Walter Pigeon, uh, uh, what's her name? Oh, right,
2: right. With the, the mind monster that comes yeah, out.
0: Yeah, the, the, the yes. whole thing made by – it was a collaboration of studios. Never before happened in Hollywood. A whole bunch of studios got together to create this incredible masterpiece in 1956. And the Krell. I think Walt
2: Disney did some of the editing. Uh, Walt Disney did the again.
0: editing, and it was MGM and all. Anyway, the, the, the doorways of the Krell looked exactly like that damn cornice in your left-hand image in your composite.
2: Exactly. Yeah, pretty wild.
0: You just extend them down. So what I will have the, to go back and look at that. What did the right? Well, I'm going to do a whole show on Forbidden Planet. So all you have to do is wait for it. Use me this to, image. Yes, I will. I will definitely steal. Remember, great poets. Uh, now there are steal. there are
2: multiple multiple shots of this. You know, because the the little rovers go by and they shoot three or four different pictures. So there's multiple pictures of this, but this is the the best shot. Ron, have you and ever I think seen this? Sounds...
4: Ron. The things Ron, I can't man, do when I huh? I'm here. Did you, oh, you ever see this? Number 30?
2: Number 39? Uh, I
4: looked at you, uh, George. I looked at all your stuff earlier, but I don't know which is which. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Now. Oh, your, your, your signal is going to hell in a handbasket. That's really yeah. too bad.
2: He, 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 the, the gremlins are he, out there.
0: He lives in the opposite of a hot spot. <clears throat> it's like a black hole uh, in terms of Wi-Fi and communications. Okay, moving on. Yes, the cone of silence. 31, well, speaking George. Speaking
2: of the cone, here's the, the conical mound. Uh, this was one of the first images that the uh, the Perseverance took yep. with the little rover. Uh, and this was, like, right in the distance with this beautiful conical mound. And I'm just doing a simple comparison. This is an American Indian mound uh, out in the oh. Midwest, and they're very, very similar. Uh, and all around this uh, conical mound on Mars, you can see there's all kinds of rubble everywhere, rough terrain. And there's this just beautiful little mound here. <laughs>
0: Which of course bizarre. the NASA piece will say, "Oh, that's obviously a uh, a, a cinder cone,
2: volcanic yeah, the cinder wind cone, yeah, created by wind, and it's 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 just sitting there." <laughs> uh, the, the last slide is one of my favorites. Uh, this is what I call the Maya Temple. Now this is this is not far from the conical mound. This is sitting in the distance. I I can show you more detail. There's other structures around this. Uh, And here's a comparison of the Amaya ruins.
0: Future note, George, put on the image the original raw NASA file number so people can find the original. People don't do Uh, that. If
2: if people go to the Sedoni Institute discussion board, uh, I invite them all to come on. Everything that's been presented here tonight is in... uh, threads on the Sedoni Institute discussion board with links to the original images and everything. So on Now you were having, uh, that's cheating. You that's were,
0: cheating. you were having some problems with your website. Have those been cleared
2: up? Uh, no, I have a, a tech guy coming over this week and uh, we're going to hopefully get that fixed. Um, I've had a few people invite me to come on their programs like I'm doing with you tonight. Uh, but you know, I need access to my um, articles and things to, to do um, a, a proper show uh they don't have access like you do here where i could just send these images to you which
4: was
0: great you know to do, you call this
2: radio with pictures right? radio with pictures i know it's a it's a great i should uh, probably trademark it you know so you should and and the title okay so what what do you think of this richard this also has that little doorway I mean, this is this is amazing
0: this is astonishing we need to find the originals ron we got to find the yes. original so you will get the original number out of George and
2: Yeah, I, I I can send it to you Richard.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Original. Yeah, let and... me uh, let me shoehorn one little thing
0: in here.
2: Uh, Richard, uh since whole, you were there's a whole little complex here. This is just one of George? The... Yes.
4: You were just talking about an uh, artifact from a curiosity photo? Yes. Uh, the uh, See, I I can listen with my ear. Yeah, I can follow with my ears. Anyway, right. uh if you, want to, if you want to go look through my stuff, I can't rattle off the number. There's only a half a dozen of my pictures there, but one of them is a poster with, like, six different things on it. Okay. And you will see, uh, you will see very prominently something. Uh, Keith even asked me about it when I send in the pictures. It looks like a uh, pine cone made out of gemstones, but it's actually something out of an Egyptian museum. It was some sort of uh, bauble. You know, or or something, probably a necklace. It's and it, number it was, eight. A, it's called the cluster combo. That's it. Yeah, and that that one that's tagged is from an, is from ancient Egypt, and it looks like a bunch of grapes. All the others are from, 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 from Yeah, your uh, your signal is really up, bad friend. tonight. Yeah, two of them are from Spirit, and uh, yeah, well, you'll see. But there's some yeah, more uh, examples of what you were saying there. Yeah,
2: I will go check it out. And if if you have time tomorrow, I'll just go over to the Sedoni Institute discussion board, and uh, there's a whole thread on this uh, architectural fragment. Fascinating. And the the, the Maya temple, uh, the conical mound, uh, the whole doorway, all all of this stuff. hmm
0: Well, since we all- are mm-hmm. probably a few light years past having to prove. There were ancient civilizations with an S, not just one, but many, going all the way back to the starting point, which in our timeline—and we're going to do a whole show with George on timelines because I've been only working on this since monuments, which is what thirty, forty, or something like that. Um, oh, so
2: you would like to do a show about the the Naranjo Star Wars? Well, yeah, but we need
0: to put that in context, and you, oh, yeah. and, you and you and Ron should mm-hmm. get together. Because Ron is is definitely deeply into Mayan sure. history and Mayan mythology. And uh, I think the discussion is important. Oh, you have
4: no idea. But <laughs> the
0: dating, I would say, is up for grabs because dating is the most amorphous, pinned down, because, you know, you don't have calendars. So you've got to do celestial things or, you know, cosmic things or synchronization things or whatever. So the dates are very amorphous, but the storytelling and what they are telling us about, I think is directly related to the idea of an ancient solar system war that put us in this terrible place that we are on earth tonight.
2: Yes, that's, that's my thoughts also from what I'm seeing that uh, when people hear about artifacts on Mars, ruins or things, they, they think it was just one settlement. Uh, this is a whole different um, there's a different no, the timeline. whole planet. Yeah. Yeah. There's occupation at different times.
0: And different eras and different states right. of erosion. It's, of,
2: more, it's more complex. Incredibly
0: complex. Things. And that's why we're not going to figure it out from just looking at the pictures. We've got to find the libraries. But maybe NASA is going to kind of help us because they're putting out more and more data again that's so provocative. But again, without comment. They figured out, guys. And then I want to turn to John. They figured out. That if they don't say anything, if they don't announce what something is, nobody will notice. Nobody will pay attention. They can put it out to those that are paying attention, kind of like a stealth message, like us. But the rest of the culture is oblivious unless they, you know, call up the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Examiner and say, okay, this is what you're looking at. And they're not going to do that maybe until after December. So John, we've been talking about the Badlands Guardian as a potential significator of geo-art Martians coming to Earth and basically either doing or bequeathing how to do the same stuff to humans here on Earth. You have been looking at a whole different uh, section of real estate here on Earth, here in the United States. So why don't we talk a bit about what you've been looking at in terms of martian terrestrial geo art and keith of course
7: yes uh, for years i mean i wrote a science fiction novel actually about uh, mars going kablooey and they escaped to earth and uh, they settled first in montana and then they kind of spread out from there and so you see a lot of geoglyphs from canada going down through mexico and south america and um, last August, when you had Scott Walter on to talk about the Utah monolith, which um, you know there's a lot of sculptures and uh, there's a, a beautiful mural there in this this little canyon cleft where the monolith was, and uh, and then uh, Keith showed some vacation pictures from his trip to Arches mm-hmm. National Park, and um, he thought they looked anomalous. And when I saw them, I was astounded and reminded of an out-of-body episode I had when I was young visiting Colorado. Uh, I was nine years old and um, went on a joyride, and I'm seeing all these sculptures all over the, the, the American West. So I've come full circle now. I'm in my 60s, and um, I've returned to those roots now. I'm going to focus the rest of my days here on uh, dispelling the myth that all this stuff out in the West is interesting erosion, which is what the rangers will tell you in Arches National Park or Canyonlands. And I mean, it just goes on for hundreds and thousands of square miles. So I'm using the uh, Arches Park as sort of the central area and branching out from there. And uh, Arches Park is unique because it has all of these arches, which many of them are actually portals, and I'm decoding... Wait, um, they're,
0: they're, they're, they're what? They're portals. What do you they're, mean,
7: portals? They allow you to... they're interdimensional doorways. And we know this How? Well, this is my theory. Oh, okay. This is the model I'm working on. All right. And what I'm seeing at Delicate Arch, which I can point out maybe in another show, is uh, these various technologies that come together that make these arches operate. So you're basically
0: saying that they're ancient Stargates. Yes. Like in Stargate SG-1. I still have to see that movie. (laughs) it's a whole television series lasted 10 years of incredible shows right ron
5: yeah stargate sg1
2: yeah stargate uh...
0: sg1 okay so john let's start with item number one in your and the way you read the second (laughs) series say again macgyver yeah macgyver actually he was much better than macgyver much better
2: Oh, yeah, I'm just saying yeah. most people know MacGyver. Probably well, Richard know, Anderson, Starkey. yeah.
0: By the way, there's rumors now of, a, of, a, of another series, uh, but that's very amorphous, and we don't really have anything to yes. hang our hat on yet. So what we do is you want to go to the guest page, and right under the banner there, uh, there's a little item that says Fast Link to Items. Click on John. That will take you to his section of Radio with
7: Pictures. John, start with number one. Number one is an image that was going around in the other side of Midnight uh, email group that we have. And you can click on these
0: and they get much
7: bigger. I went to look for the the number, the file number, but I I couldn't find it. Um, But anyway, this is a nice snapshot that just applies to overall Mars where their architecture, you see lots of sphinxes, lots of temple-like buildings, and there's lots of serpents. And so many of these features on Mars are going to see human and human-like faces and lots of animals, you know, serpents and all kinds of animals. So we find that same thing on Earth. And uh, image number three is a picture of Delicate Arch. Which this is, this is its
0: actual name in the park, right?
7: Yeah, it used to be called before they changed it. I'm trying to remember. They used to call it back in the days of the old west when there were cowboys. Uh I want to say pantaloons because they thought the serpent looked <laughs> or, like or the maybe pantalo- it was chaps. Um no, it was the women they wore those Oh, know, those those things.
0: big uh, under the bustle.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Okay and they changed the name to delicate arch in like the sixties, I think it was. And, but, um, yeah, this is a, a massive arch, which is all, uh, I think it's an Anunnaki figures. And there's also these, I'm calling them long skulls. And I mean, long skulls are vertical. Their skulls are, you know, they go up or like stretched upward. Um, you mean and, you mean
0: they're the elongated heads that Brian Forster has been finding
7: in Peru? I'll have to check on that, but probably, yeah. Now, Maria Wheatley talks about the long skulls, who she thinks created Stonehenge. Yeah, well, she long. and
0: Brian are working together, so yeah, we're all talking about the same thing. I want to just kind of reference well, everybody so they're Richard, all on the same page. Yes, George.
2: If you take another look at the um, Badlands Guardian. Uh he appears to have an elongated skull also. Uh
0: actually that's true, yes.
2: And uh on the Ancient Aliens episode when they uh covered the whole episode on the uh Badlands Guardian, they had an artist come in and do a uh three D model <laughs> of the formation and they were very big on the uh the extended
7: skull there. So uh, hmm. interesting. Well, what I'd like to bring out in a future show is uh, in my image number four, I've highlighted some of the sculpturing in this arch. And what I see is this serpent kissing the crown of this. I'm calling these figures Anunnaki. It's a bust and the the snake is kissing the crown. And you can see it's a side profile of this uh, sort of human looking face uh, facing to the right and this is all over the west and they're not quite human but they do kind of look like the when i was looking at the, <laughs> the badlands guardian and you know it kind of looks like because you got the sloping you know forehead oh. nose coming down and you know sort of flat nose and and this really tight mouth and i can show you many other instances of these faces all throughout Arches Park and, and beyond and so forth. So um, what I see in Arches Park, you've got more human-like faces. You've got these Anunnaki, I'll call them, with these sort of sloping foreheads and so on. And then you've got these long skulls. And uh, yeah, there's a whole crew of them. I think that they must have come here and they... Just turned the place into a, a massive art gallery and in fact it's, it's all around the earth but um, this area in, in western U.S. is very special because of these arches and it seems to be the most stable ground on earth. There's no earthquakes and it's very arid and they wanted to set this up so that it would last a very long time and I've learned that uh, in the 1990s part of one of these beautiful arches uh, collapsed. It's two elephants with their trunks touching and and intertwined. And uh, that collapsed. And then part of uh, Balanced Rock, I'm using the Balanced Rock feature as sort of the center point of Arches National Park. And part of that, which was uh, an alignment it collapsed in the 1970s, so it just it spurs me to dispel the myth of erosion. We need to take care of this place and preserve it and study the murals so that we can learn their language it's all all their history it's all there uh, George, as you said earlier it's right in front of our faces so George it, do, you,
0: do you have any active geologists kind of on your on your uh Sedona Institute staff or uh, contact list, because what we need is a geologist with a good background, but an open mind to give us an estimate, an erosional estimate of how ancient this stuff is on Earth.
2: Well, we did have in uh, um, Michael Dale.
0: Yeah, but he's Uh, no longer with us.
2: I know. So he was really the only um, geologist geologists that we had that would, uh, you know, be open to this type of investigation. Uh, William Saunders is a geomorphologist.
0: Well, that's, um, a, that's that's the same category. You know, Errol right. Torrin, my former so, colleague um, at defense mapping, was a geomorphologist. Geomorphologists are geologists who look at the shapes of geology, so right. a geomorphologist is exactly what we need.
2: So I, I can uh, send him uh, Bill's information and, and uh he can send him some stuff to take a look at. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, hey, Robert
4: Shock is competent and he's uh taken nothing but um hostile responses for his work at the Sphinx. I mean I don't agree with everything he does, but uh you know, yeah, it's hard to estimate anything from erosion except what caused the erosion. It does it doesn't work well for uh timing things.
0: I'm not so sure honestly. Anyway, we're at the bottom of the hour. I guess this morning too numerous to mention no not really we've got Ron Gerberon George Haas and Jonathan Womack and Keith Morgan who was intimately involved in these terrestrial Martian comparison studies is uh, on tap back there in the uh, East Coast in the DC area You're on the other side of midnight this is something I wanted to play all night this is from the soundtrack by Harry Gregson
3: Williams
0: from The Martian making water, and the Martians so missed the mark for what they could have done, so someday maybe there'll be a follow-on movie called The Real Martians. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. This is Sunday night, Monday morning, here in the Land of Enchantment.
1: The other side of midnight dot com,
0: and welcome back, everyone. Last half hour to go on this Sunday night, Monday morning here in the land of enchantment when I'm losing my voice. So oh, we'll kind of lose your voice again. This is some cuts from the background uh, ultimate soundtrack to the Martian. We will play more of this uh, in some of our next shows, but I do want to take issue, Ron, with one thing you said, you said it's very difficult to tell the age of erosion. Actually, it's not when, When I went to Boston to see Robert Schock many years ago at Boston University, he was, of course, all excited about his discovery of the erosion of the uh, sphinx and the water erosion. And we talked about methods Mm -hmm. of dating and all that. And there's a new technique which basically looks at cosmic ray exposure. So you have a kind of a constant background of cosmic rays causing isotopes. And what you can do is measure with comparative studies the amount of material which has been eroded off the surface against the exposure kind of calibration date. And then you look at where you're actually trying to figure out the age and you can get within a relatively narrow slice of time using very modern radionuclide uh, techniques that are applicable to measuring numerically. The age of erosional geology, so no, all you need <clears throat> is money. It all it requires is scientific interest and mainstream attention and funding, and then almost anything is possible, but the science has got to be done, and that requires funds., John, okay. please continue. I, or, or yes, just a way to you.
4: say Richard, you just you just castigated me for saying something that was incorrect, and it's. Uh, uh, it's structurally, uh, that's not. So that, that nucleotide measuring thing is it's basically not a comparison.
0: Nucleotides are proteins
4: in, in yes. DNA. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, that nuclear measurement method is a matter of comparisons, and it's, it's useful if there's patina or carvings. Uh, because you can re- you can. Uh, nobody disputes the difference in ratios you get from what should be the similar materials from something that's been exposed as opposed to not exposed. But that doesn't give you a date. It gives you a relative.
0: It gives you uh, a range. Yes, it gives you a range. Well, we have the. Uh,
4: anyway, let's not get lost in the weeds yeah. here. Um, well, I, I'm I'm lost in the weeds right now. I'm silly. I I want to uh, go to you in a minute with something very
0: important <laughs> and current, but I
7: need to. For John to uh,
0: to wrap up, okay?
7: Yes, I'd like to wrap up these images real quick. And uh, image number four there of Delicate Arch. I was showing this to Maria Wheatley, I don't know a month ago or so. And uh, because I'm decoding the lunar alignments and the solar alignments that are all over Arches Park, and I said that um, you know we're looking south through this. So if you're looking north, and you'd have these same kind of lunar alignments that you would you have at Stonehenge one is every nine years one is every 19.5 years and so I said yeah just imagine the moon and you're seeing it through there she says at the top of uh, at the top of this arch I have a purple oval highlighting that because she says oh that's a moon notch we see that in um these monuments in England where there'll be a notch that captures the the moon will be framed right in there ah mhm so, mm-hmm. so the the alignments are remarkable and and beautiful and stunning and awesome and so i wanted to point that out so my next image uh number 5 is just a, another Image from uh, delicate arch complex and you can see there's another serpent there they're well represented and it's funny because this comes from a video I was watching taken by uh, a visitor um, who posted the video on YouTube I, I spend lots of hours <laughs> watching these videos oh, and you I'm sorry studying... oh. Oh. <clears throat> he is flying a this is what I want to do when I, I move I plan to move out there in a few years and get some drones with the cameras so this guy with a cowboy hat standing there in the picture and his girlfriend he's flying the drone and uh, you can see the drone is landing in this frame uh, above the word, word nostril you can see that little black shadow that's the drone landing but um, you can see that every inch of this complex it's so I mean we could probably just do a show on delicate arch complex but there are numerous complexes there so uh, moving on to image number six this is the park avenue align uh, area and park avenue and balanced rock and delicate arch they're all about a mile apart they're very close arches park is very small compared to the other national parks so number 6 i've highlighted some of these these are just a few of the highlights i you know it gets too messy after a while but there's so much <clears throat> to see in this, this stretch. Uh, John, the, can I
2: ask you a question about uh, this, this image? Sure. Are, are these your photographs, or where are you getting these pictures?
7: This is from Google Earth. So anyone listening out there can go on Google Earth and just punch in Park Avenue at Arches National Park. This will come up. And you can take the camera and orbit around and look at all this stuff. And like on the right. So these
2: are just screen captures that you've taken from the Google Earth. Yes,
7: exactly. So have you been
2: there to take any pictures of of this this wall here? Because there's a lot going on
7: in this wall. Oh, tell me. Yeah, wait till I get there. I mean, wait till you find out what's, there's even stuff inside these places. These are depictions of either their home on Mars or well, remember, Nibiru
0: or remember Mars is full of red rock. If you come from Mars to Earth, if you 're human, and again, we have excellent you know psychology on humans, and if we're looking at the ancestry of humans, we can extrapolate similar psychology. you'd want to go where the climate was similar, where the environment looked similar, where the landscape was was uh familiar. I mean, Robin loved this red rock country out here and she, she just fell in love with it, had never been here until we met. And then she would never leave. And we, we spent 20 years here together. And every place, every time we go somewhere, we had to go visit red rocks because she just gravitated to red rocks. And of course, I think there's more there than uh, maybe meets the
7: eye. Mm. Yeah. We could probably do a whole show. <clears throat> just on Park Avenue. There's so much here. Like Every George time you said. say that, I think of New York City. We're talking yeah, about
0: a place here, in Utah, guys, not Park Avenue in New York.
7: And that's, they named it after Park Avenue in New York because they felt that these... These look like buildings. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
7: Duh. George, well, what were you going to say?
2: Yeah, where you have this word that says history.
7: Uh,
2: yes. That whole rock face there, where you have all these linear uh horizontal lines coming down yep uh this looks like all um fragmented pieces of images it is there there's all kinds of i mean you know I hate to use the word uh you know duplicating or mirroring, but this seems to be a whole thing going on here with these half images. I see some some half serpent faces down at the bottom here over the s
7: oh, you should see some of the other murals a Mask there. All around so here, George. Stuff all over here. Okay, well, George, yeah.
0: obviously, when we do this show, and we may do more than one, we will obviously have you back because I presume now that you're looking, you'll see things that the rest right. of us have not
2: seen. And he's got this sitting uh, uh, Sumerian guy here. There's uh, actual <laughs> little cylinder seals that have little guys sitting on thrones like this. I mean, yes, if you could do a comparison. Yes.
7: Very what, similar. What, what image are you looking at?
2: This, uh, you Number have this, six? where you have that Sumerian head there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you superimposed. Well, right next to that, there's not only a Samaritan. He's actually sitting on a throne.
7: Well, that's in my image. At number seven, I have one sitting on a throne. Right. Go to so number pretty seven. Amazing. Yeah. We're, we're running out of time. Well, here. that's the one
2: I'm looking at, number seven.
7: Oh, number oh, seven, yeah.
2: Oh,
0: okay. So yeah, he's be- sitting so on a throne. ah. ah.
2: Yeah, I was. I guess I was way ahead of you. I'm looking at seven with all these uh, horizontal lines down there where you have the word history. That's oh what my God! I'm look about. at oh, that! Look yeah. at that! It's that all fragmented, such... fragmented images that uh, are are there. Oh. And if you look over the S, there's a serpent head, like a half a mask. Over the S. It's F. so
7: beautiful. It's hard to even look at because if you dwell on it, it it'll crush your soul. That this <laughs> is all going unnoticed and people come there and look at it and go, Oh well it's interesting. Next well, and it's, they go they, the see it,
2: they see it subconsciously. Guys, probably.
7: guys, guys,
0: it's time is coming. Come on. Yeah. We're we're literally a whisker away in terms of geological history from a stunning set of paradigm shifts that are gonna absolutely rock the human race to its very core. Why do you think they're preparing us by showing us stuff and not talking about it, just showing it to us. They're you guys have not up.
5: seen half of what Jonathan has come up with that I see in this <laughs> stuff. It, but we will.
0: we will. This was only a teaser. I said to John, just come on. We're going to do a tease. I do want to get to Ron because Ron is kind of like the end of the, of the story where we are tonight. So I, I <clears throat> don't want to give this short shrift. So, John, are you, are you finished with your
3: tease? Yes,
0: I am Excellent. finished with the tease.
7: Thank you, Richard. <laughs>
0: okay, so let me, let me set the scene, Ron. Ron and I talk okay. almost every day and it's difficult because Ron has these weird communications problems, the cone of silence. He sometimes has to go out and sit on the lawn with the crickets um, and then weird things happen. Anyway, so a couple nights ago, uh, he sent me, I, I guess we talked and then you sent me the link to a story out of Costa Rica in the Costa Rican star, which is their equivalent of, The New York Times, I guess. And they have a really well-developed, amazing website. It looks like they've been in on the ground floor because it's very simple. It's like websites used to be, you know, like the Enterprise Mission website is very simple because we got in on the ground floor back in 96. Anyway, they had this reprinted story that made me go ding, 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 just like art used to do. So Ron, take it away.
4: Okay, well, 20 years ago, some of us were around. <clears throat> um some of us have been around a long time already. Uh the uh, uh, there was this story that popped up on um with Art Bell. He interviewed a lady, uh uh Paulina Zalitsky and her husband Paul. Uh, they were uh oce- they were ocean oceanography people and they were contractors Marine engineers. To- Marine engineers. All right. Marine engineers. Hired by Castro, by
0: the Castro government
4: from Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And they were inspecting it. They were inspecting a communications cable, which you have to do when they're underwater uh, for integrity. And they ran across a bunch of ruins.
0: This was on the western Uh, end of Cuba in the huge gulf there between Cuba and the Yucatan in that space where hurricanes come up uh, before you get to the Gulf of Mexico where nobody would imagine anything would be except maybe a modern cable buried, you know, a mile down isn't or so. This off the,
2: yeah. me, isn't this off the coast of Guantanamo Bay?
0: No. no. Guantanamo is... No, 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 east. no.
4: Guantanamo Bay is...
0: It's on the eastern Guantanamo. side of Cuba. This is on the western side between Cuba and the Yucatan, Mexico.
4: Okay. So uh, the right side. opposite Merida. And if you... Uh, actually, one of the things in my section is another bunch of pictures crammed together that is various types of mayan architecture and the two at the top and the and one down in the middle there are from uh yucatan and it's easy to see the resemblance between that and the ruins that they photographed although we've only gotten to see sonar images uh one one and a half uh from their uh, exploration and at the time way back 20 years ago uh, when she was on with Art Bell, she was on several times, and she was very cagey, but not in a sneaky way. She was saying National Geographic had uh, hired them to, uh, you know, pass it on to them. They were going to do a big story, a uh, big exposition. This is amazing. Ruins under the ocean. And they took charge of everything, and then it all just disappeared.
0: Oh, yeah, I so, remember that.
4: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's the story Richard's referencing that I found in that uh, Costa Rican newspaper the other day.
0: But what's so uh, stunning is that it's now July 30th or 29th when you found this in the Costa Rica star. There's a there's a link to the story up in my section. Um, I think it's number uh, I think it's number 12, I think. Um, Anyway. Without any reference, without any notation by the science editor of the paper, that well we're doing this now because you know there's a new expedition or there's 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 somebody who's been probing around or the U.S. Navy you know bumped into this. In other words, all they do is with no introduction reprint the 2002 20-year-old story from the National Geographic, including the National Geographic website url that doesn't work it's a broken
4: link right yeah that doesn't shock me as much as it does richard because that that part happens they're not in charge of that uh link and perhaps they couldn't find one i think it may have been purged from nat geo's archives or uh somebody just forgot but in any case it's there somewhere the point is that both of the images that they posted are from the original sonar stuff, but they're much better quality. Uh, Arguments about color notwithstanding, because, you know, it's just – it doesn't matter. It's all a matter of contrast and form.
2: These are much nicer pictures than I remember the original story.
4: Exactly, and yet if you just hit the the greenish one, um, the – Uh, with, uh, you know, I don't know, fade correction or some, you know, any simple, uh, you'll see, boom, you say, oh yeah, that's that one that was on that show 20 years ago. This is just a better quality thing. She gave him a fax version of the um, sonar image because Nat Geo had all the good stuff. When you say him,
0: you you mean Art Bell?
4: Art Bell, yes. Yes, sorry. And uh, the... uh, So these are just better versions from that, which means that Nat Geo was sitting on all of that. I mean, she had already mentioned that they also took photographs, but that those were embargoed because of the stuff Nat Geo was doing. Nobody's ever seen any of those. Um, And she was a little dodgy about it, seemed a little little unhappy, but, you know, it just, I mean, Art wasn't going to grill her on it. It was an exciting story by itself. Anyway, now we have a story, and one of them, I was able to uh, contrast bump it up a little bit and uh, like I said if somebody doesn't like the fact that there's colors there uh, just hit grayscale because I mean that's just the way it, that just happens it's just not it doesn't mean that the color of the ball of the blocks down there was anything but white I'm sure um, the in any case you can see the definition and to the right of the three pyramids which is nice uh, there is a uh, bunch of foundations on the ground which I instantly recognized that 's a piece of ground art, if you can call it that when it 's underwater of uh Tualuk, which is the Aztec equivalent to chalk who was the probably the most primal storm god in um mayan uh any everything past Almec. nobody's sure where it came from, but they think that chalk was the first one, but twaaloc uh, is the second one
2: and well, Ch- um, the chop god is related to mars
4: uh, some people say that i well, i say t- he's related he's to he's uh, uh we'll get we'll get tear and hair if you get right, well,
2: uh, i've studied
4: i've studied that too
2: yeah well it's, he's it's, depicted riding uh the zip monster which is a symbol of mars he also has mm. the uh he's the uh the numeral he's got the axe in his eye it's a lot of interesting stuff
3: but
7: mm. it's, it's
2: yeah identical. the yeah it,
4: oh i found him on mars i have a i have a lovely um Actually, it's one of the clearest I have. I didn't oh, post I it up for the show
3: tonight.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd okay, like to see those. Uh, but, yeah, but, it's but, why, but, well, the point is, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's not argue Let me,
0: in public on this.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I think that's <laughs> entertaining. I, I, I'm not. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, it right the when you uh,
2: keep finding the same.
4: Stuff? Yeah, and and there's something peculiar about Chalk and Tlaloc, who's basically interchangeable in most regards. But the, uh, they always comment about the odd appearance of Tlalik. And um, the um, Chalk's usually depicted slightly more human, but he still has the one arm that seems to be artificial with a hammer at the end. So Thor is who I'd compare them all to with his hammer. Okay, we don't have else. a lot of
0: time. I want but, to get to the politics yeah, well, the, of this.
4: Well, this yeah, matters. He, because he they,
2: the body. looking arm, yes.
4: Yes, and the body of the figure that I see next to the pyramid there is those two big square structures. And that is reminiscent of like Zuni art and North American Indian stuff, which is a comparison that I've never seen anybody make with the Aztecs. But it's definitely flalic over there uh, that was depicted. And so I don't know if there were, you know, the no, but Wait, the wait, wait. Scope. Didn't
0: the Aztecs migrate from the lower United States down to what we now think of as, as Mexico in a relatively recent time frame?
4: Yeah, the Nawa speaking people that were uh, a pain in the ass to all their neighbors lived in the Los Angeles basin before the people that the uh, L.A. City Council talks about, and they were cha- kind of chased out, and they moved south, and they ended up in Mexico City, or what became Mexico so City. So they
0: and the Zunis could have obviously been in communication.
4: Exactly, but that's an older link, because I've never, uh, that would be older than the Central American stuff. Yes, but that exactly. And it would also make... It would also make Klawak the older god rather than Chok, but that all gets confusing. Because as I started to say before, I I compare him to Baal, who was like a primal storm god from the Middle East. Okay,
0: I want to get to the politics. So it's
4: all fictive. Okay, Okay, well, go go ahead. ahead. That's all I got. People can look at the pictures. They'll see them. We're coming up on the
0: big D word, the disclosure thing. So out of the blue, this is what's important, guys.
4: Out of the blue, Mm. a newspaper
0: that you've never heard of, unless you are a citizen of Costa Rica, not only publishes a 20-year-old article on incredibly sunken ancient pre-Mayan ruins half a mile down, wherever geologist says it's impossible, but they seem to be in pretty good condition. Uh, I talked with Paulina Zalitsky many times. So did Linda Moulton Howe. She has disappeared. I can't find her. I can't find her husband. I can't find any paper trail. They went into the geographic and they never came out. It's like a huge black hole and nothing ever was done. There were no other expeditions, no ROVs. I mean, I'm kind of wondering, we're now living in a world of multiple billionaires. You know, is there anybody like Musk that might like to rent the modern technology that could send an ROV down for, you know, a few dollars and, actually get close-up stunning color imagery of these pyramids and the plazas and and uh, the pre-chalk guy and all that? No! Nothing! And when Robin, back when we were looking at all this, called Clive Cussler at my suggestion, tracking he was very good at tracking down people she could track down anybody she got actually hold of Clive Cussler he's the guy who writes all the deep marine novels with his hero, Dirk It, including the novel that got made into a movie called Raise the Titanic. He really writes well. His son writes well. They do stunning novels. Anyway, Robin actually got him on the phone and started to lay out what we were looking at. He got so weird and so angry and so actually he he, he sounded like he was so put upon. He said, oh, there's nothing there. It's all a hoax. And he hung up. This is a guy who runs a real Marine Institute and who's made his living talking about writing beyond the edge of the paper of ancient archaeological mysteries and treasures and discoveries. And he wouldn't even talk to us about the geographic expedition to look at these ruins that were hot news items back in the day, which, of course, told me that Clive Cussler is in on it and is one of the suppressors.
4: Well, he's, 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 yeah, he works with spooks and that's the obvious, his reaction is the obvious one from somebody that was, had that story on file, you know, or as fodder for his next book or something and was, of course he would get horribly offended, couldn't (laughs) tell you why. And he has a reputation, by the way, ask anyone in Hollywood, he's a director's nightmare. That's why they've only ever made two of his wonderful books in the movies because they can't get him to stay away both of that. which
0: are really cool raise the titanic and the other one is called sahara and it was so panned in the mainstream hollywood press and when you look at it it's obvious why because it tells too much about ancient cultures and civilizations there in the sahara desert
4: yeah very much so it's uh, actually for anybody who's a de- who's a fan of the national treasure movies Uh, It's not the same thing, but you'll like it for the same reason. You'll love it. Okay,
0: I want to close the loop on the politics. So in the same time frame that we've got NASA suddenly putting out image after image of real weird stuff on Mars, including the new image of the week, which looks like the broken off feet of a very large statue, you know, wearing boots, just go look at it. We've got this Costa Rican paper out of nowhere republishing with zero comment including a broken link to an old 20-year-old National Geographic story about an ancient, incredibly high-tech city located a half a mile down off Cuba. Question, are we being prepped, prepared for the big revelations that A, there's stuff on Mars, and B, it's actually connected to us here on Earth and an epic when we used to do this stuff or our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmothers?
2: Well, this uh, Cuban um, underwater scene just blows the Japanese uh, structure. Oh,
0: Yanaguni? No, no comparison.
2: Yeah.
4: No comparison. Now, here's something else. Possibly the same time frame, but, yeah, these are much better. There's obviously many more.
0: All right, there is a postscript to the story. After Ron sent me Mm -hmm.
4: the link and I was able to get through
0: the security, uh, they really have a weird security protocol get into the newspaper what newspaper has a security protocol so you can just look at their ads i went through all that jumped through all the hoops i hope it doesn't bother our our listeners to do that i find that there is a listing for the editor so i sent him an email just with my name i didn't tell him who i was you know the radio show cronkite and nasa whatever just my name and i asked him Why this story now? Is there a Costa Rican connection? Are some Costa Rican marine scientists interested in these ostensible ruins? And it was Saturday that I did that, yesterday. And it's now Sunday night, Monday morning. I may get an answer this week sometime. If I do, I will obviously let you know this coming weekend. And we have one minute. Any final thoughts, George?
2: Uh, I think the proof is out there oh, and uh, NASA's own images are going to reveal it.
0: And do you think they're going to tell us what they're doing or are they just going to load us with more and more and more imagery until we all say, enough already. We know there's a civilization on Mars.
2: <laughs> enough already. We're leave it. Uh-oh, 20 seconds. Yeah. oh That's what I think.
0: Okay, we got 30 oh. seconds. John, any thoughts?
7: Yes, we need linguists to go to Arches Park and decipher the language. Ah, so there's
4: language. Well, that's amazing.
0: Have you, just,
4: have you, deline- have you delineated anything that are definitely glyphs?
7: Or yes, I'm characters? starting to get an eye for it. There are patterns. That's what I look for. Okay. Yep. You start with the glyphs, and then you
4: try and see if there was, if they were, there was usage as an alphabet. And until you get
7: that far, then you can't decipher yeah. them. Very Egyptian-looking, you know. Hey, guys.
0: Kind of you yeah. Not the, surprising. In the airline runway metaphor, we have reached the end of the runway. I want to thank my guest this morning, George Haas. Amazing scholarship, George. Amazing. Ron Gerbron, as usual, he always brings something new to the table. And John Womack, we are going to do one or two or maybe more shows on the uh, uh, National Monument there in Utah. And, of course, our own Keith Morgan has got some amazing images that we didn't have time to get to tonight but we will so until next Saturday, same time same bat channel remember, third star on the left straight on till morning night everyone